Hey, welcome to episode 31 of the Draft Champions podcast. I hope that's right. Uh, I'm here with uh, Mark Winoker. I'm uh, pronouncing that right? You got it. Perfect. Yeah, uh, you can find Mark at Mark underscore Win- uh, Winoker with a Mark with a C on Twitter. Uh, Mark's a NFBC player, a longtime player, a very good player, very smart player. Uh, we were just in a draft together, um, and we're going to talk a bit about that um, probably at the end of this podcast. Um, but uh, what we're going to discuss today is uh, some players that are just getting pushed up by uh, quote-unquote experts uh, and getting pushed up in these dra- second tra- second chance uh, draft champions uh, drafts, um, as well as um, we're going to take some questions. So, uh, Mark, how's it going? It's going well, Zach. Thanks for having me on. Just, you know, surviving day to day like everyone else, feeling blessed that we, uh, my, my family's healthy right now, knock on wood, and employed and just, you know, feeling horrible for what's going on. Just hoping we get through this and, uh, you know, maybe get some baseball as a bonus. Yeah, I'm uh, in the same boat as you, actually. Uh, where, where, where are you exactly? Where are you located? I I'm in Fort, yeah, Fort Collins, Colorado. Okay, so... How's uh, the situation there? I guess you guys have opened up businesses and businesses and such. Yeah, you know, I think our um, we had a more early shutdown, and I think that really helped flatten the curve. Um, seems like our infrastructure from the hospitals and such um, is intact. And yes, they've started to open some things up. I've honestly developed some agoraphobia through this. I have barely left my house for was it, eleven weeks now. <laughs> My wife is a much more ambitious and courageous one of us and has been doing all of our shopping and uh, other things out and about. But um, eventually I'll have to get over this and I think I'll be able to at some point. Right on. Um, hope, hopefully they're not opening up the like the worship places down over there because that's got to be, like I'm, I'm listening to the news, that's got to be the one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Uh, no offense to anyone, but um, <laughs> that's, that's uh, really stupid. Um, but um I don't know if that's I don't know if that's been an issue down there at this point. Well, you know, I have a few friends who um, have their PhDs in this field. They're a virologist, so uh, I've been in communication with them. So you know, I really trust their perspective. And they've sent me some materials, and it really seems like you know, if you're outside, your chance of transmission is very low. But it's like workplaces, uh, bars, restaurants, and kind of places of worship where people are singing or talking or in closer, uh, you know, uh, spacing to each other. That's where the, and the kind of shared air, that's the greatest risk from my understanding. So um, I'll definitely be avoiding those places as long as I possibly can, at least until we hear if there's another spike from all of the opening, uh, opening up, but really trying to follow the, the, the data and science uh, from people I trust. That's kind of how I do my fantasy baseball and kind of how I live my life. Yep, that's a good transition into uh, fantasy baseball. Um, you know, I asked, uh, I asked um, Twitter and I got some uh, DMs uh, back uh, if they had any questions because we're going to be recording an episode uh, this weekend. Um, it is Sunday evening and uh, I'll, I'll just go through some of these questions and, they're, and they knew that the great Mark Winoker um, always – Whenever I saw your name, I always wanted to think, say like Winker, like Jesse Winker. (laughs) Now I'll never think of Jesse Winker the same. Um, I'll call him Jesse Winoker. So we got, we got our first question from, uh, uh, he's from uh, Godfather NFBC. I don't know who that is, but um, he's saying, uh, 
what is your off-season prep program? And you know what, Godfather, you know what? There is no off-season, so it's, that must be a direct question. So um, I don't know why he's asking me that, but um, it's a terrible question. So we'll just pass by that one. Um, next, we got um, we got at the Dexter Kitty. Now they're asking. I'm obviously a huge Dexter Fowler fan. Um, how do you think St. Louis outfield shakes out with the new DH and the NL? Can you please talk mostly about Dexter Fowler because I believe he should be a top 100 player, but I'm also interested in, in the direct impact of the young outfielders such as Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, and Dylan Carlson, and also indirectly um, the best Edmund in St. Louis since Jim, Tommy Edmund. Um, so, Mark, do you want to take that one? Sure. Um you know, it's funny, Dexter Fowler looks like he's completely done, but in a lot of these draft champions, and you know, since you're the draft champions pod, I'll try to reference that as much as possible. I have ended up with him a few times. It looks like it's always him or Alex Gordon that I'm getting in those kind of early reserve rounds as like my outfielder six. And what about, Josh, what about, what about Josh Reddick? He falls, of, he falls into that category. He's even going later, and I, I like him as a seven or an eight. It seems like nobody wants him at all, and he just uh, – at that point in the draft, he's a top guy on my board for rounds, and uh, I have definitely grabbed him a few times. Um, you know, it's funny. I don't know if we're going to talk about him as getting pushed up, but Dylan Carlson seems like he is skyrocketing uh, up the boards, uh, and I don't think I have a share. You know – He is. Okay. Okay. So he, sorry, he was he wasn't on my list because my list of players that have been skyrocketing. I'm, I'm it's a sort of a devil's advocate list. Um, gotcha. And uh, I like Carlson, so he's not on my list. But he, when we go through the list, you can add to it. Gotcha. You know, I you know, I, honestly, I think with the with the new NLDH, uh, that's something that if there's anything that's changed from the early drafts that I think has the biggest impact, it might be that. And, you know, you've heard a lot on Twitter and on the message boards, people kind of upset that their early drafts um, are going to count, hopefully. Uh, and they feel like that's, that's not fair. Uh, I, I've been frankly kind of shrugging that off the entire time, that argument. The only thing I could see different is this NLDH because there's obviously plenty of players that, I was fading and probably others because of playing time concerns uh, that now might be in for playing time. And then someone pointed on Twitter uh, that it's a good point. might have been Rob Silver that, you know, when you have 15 new guys enter in, then other guys fall below replacement level. And there might have been some other guys that, um, you know, that were being drafted that might not be uh, worthy of being drafted now. So, it's really hard to tell. They're a very smart organization. They always seem to maximize their talent in a way. Uh, I, I've gotten O'Neill a few times, and I think he's he's an interesting uh, you know, player with that uh, power. Batting average is obviously a problem. Uh, so, you know, I could see I could see more and more of uh, of those outfielders getting drafted, uh, even in like the main events, um, than just in the draft champions format. Uh, as far as Edmund is concerned, he's a really he's an interesting player. Um, you know, he kind of came out of nowhere. I'm usually a little late to the party on those players. Uh, I would I like to see the second year, but you know we really can't do that anymore. It, it used to be you could wait, and the next year those guys wouldn't be as uh, drafted as high. But 
you have to really make a decision now on these guys who have a one really great year if you're in or out on them. And if you're in, you have to be willing to pay the price. If you're out, you're, you know, you might miss out on a, a guy who's legitimately good. I think Max Muncie comes to mind. Uh, last year, I just did not buy in again, and it, and it completely burned me. And honestly, even this year, I'm having trouble buying in. There's a certain players that kind of get stuck in your head as you just don't think they're as good as they're showing, and that's probably a leak in my game. Right on. That's, that's, uh, that's good. I, I think I hear you. What about um, – so any, what are your thoughts on Carlson? You said you don't have any shares. Are you looking to get any? You know, I guess it would depend on the summer training that we're hopefully going to have and um, what his prospects are for playing time, his batting order, position, how he looks. Um, another probably leak I have is maybe adhering a little too much to the, uh, the projections that I, uh, that I aggregate myself and the valuations I, I produce. Um, obviously those are all worthless right now. Well, you know, definitely gonna be waiting for a new set of projections to kind of take a look at. He just hasn't risen up, uh, in that, in that format that I use yet. But uh, I'm, I'm certainly open. I'd like to hear your, your thoughts on him. One last thing I'd say, Zach, is, you know, have, you know like you having young kids and, and, and a job, those type of things. I, my baseball watching is usually late at night. Um, I'll, I'm a Mets fan. I grew up uh, back in New Jersey, born in Brooklyn. And I'll, I'll tape the Mets because they're on at 5 o'clock here. So I don't watch nearly as much baseball as I really should. For me, Carlson, uh, I like Carlson, and uh, I've been targeting him um, recently, and even before, even uh, I started getting on him before the the news, the the coronavirus news, probably in early March, and I got a couple of a couple of my shares there because I believe he's going to be up, um, especially now. Um, so I, I'm I'm looking at him before pick two fifty for sure. Um, I'm comparing him to guys like um, Kyle Tucker. Um, very comparable. That's why when it's, it's funny that you, you look at uh, Dexter Fowler as sort of like a handcuff to um, Carlson. And I've done that. I've got, I've gotten Carlson and I've sort of just grabbed Dexter Fowler around pick whatever, um, just because so I can have a warm body. Um, same thing with Tucker and Reddick. Um, I think those are, I think it's a smart handcuff to, to have there. So I do like Carlson. I do think he's going to be up and I think there's enough um, discount baked into him for the uncertainty that um, I'll take my chances on uh, my assessment that um, given the circumstance of the season, he'll be up. Um, th- moving on to another question that we got um, speaking of handcuffing, and this is from MLB moving average uh, MLB moving AVG. Uh, he's saying I've never, ever done a draft champions before. Um, so I'm looking for your advice for a first time draft champions player. I'm looking into, uh, uh, getting your thoughts on stacking the Oakland A's second base situation or the New York Yankees fifth starter situation. Do any of these players gain value in the short season? And will you be targeting any of them earlier than you would have if at all? Um, the players that I'm referring to are Franklin Barreto, Jorge Mateo, and Sheldon Noyce on the A's and then Debbie Garcia, Clark Schmidt, and Jonathan Malaisiga on the Yankees. So Mark? Yes. Um, Do you have any thoughts to help help out my buddy Johnny? (laughs) Um, That's digging deep there, Zach. Um, I'm looking at my my file here and um, uh, Sheldon Noyce is interesting. Um, I found myself grabbing him a few times. Second base is perhaps the 
the most interesting position for me this entire long draft season since October and first pitch up until like a couple weeks ago. Uh, I find myself really waiting on second base and uh, being pretty light there. Like I have maybe two second base and through like 40 rounds and uh, Noyce or Noose uh, is, is one of the guys I've actually been uh, grabbing a few times just because he looks like the only warm body left that might have a little um, ceiling. Uh, Barreto, you know, he's one of those guys I've just kind of given up on, uh, maybe to my my detriment, but uh, I just have not really looked his way. Who was the other one? Uh, Jorge Mateo. He's going. He's Mateo, going. He's yeah. going the earliest out of anyone, uh, probably because of his speed upside. Yes, I noticed you have him. Uh, you you grabbed him in our DC in the 29th round. So um, I have him. On, is he a second base and shortstop? That's maybe why I wasn't seeing him. Um, I actually am not sure. I believe he's just shortstop eligible, but I could be wrong. I should just pull up the draft board. Um, yeah, he looks he looks a little bit interesting. Uh, you know, I think it um, looks like he's got a little speed, a little pop. That batting average maybe is not going to be helpful. You yeah. know, Oakland's another very smart organization. You know, they've had trouble at that at that middle infield position. Uh, you know, for a, for a little bit it seems like, but he's. You know, obviously one of those guys, if not two, are going to get some playing time there. So that might be a really good, you know, one of those guys, late flyers in the D.C. format that um, that could pay off. Well, Mateo is a guy that can play a lot of different positions. He can play short, second, and the outfield, so they can move him around. However, um, when you said the Oakland A's are a very smart organization, it got, got me thinking that why haven't they used this guy yet? He's not that young. He, if you look at the fan graphs, like leaderboard for the prospects, he was like a J2 class of like 2011. Like he's been around forever and they've never brought him up. Well, he was, I think, I believe he was on the Yankees and he was, he was traded from the Yankees, I think, in one of the trades. Um, but um, the, thing that the, the, the thing with um, Mateo and Barreto is they are both out of options. So before the season started, they were almost um, – a lock for one of them to be traded and noise or noisy or noose, whoever you want to pronounce his name, he still has options. So he was probably going to start in the minor leagues. That's why. And that's probably why his ADP is way, way below the other two, even though um, Barreto has been given up on by quite a few people. That makes sense. So um, I personally, I've been trying to stack some of these, like if I, I, I like Mateo for his upside because you see stolen bases getting pushed up so much in these drafts. And like I've, I've made the point on an earlier podcast is I don't, I don't understand why the stolen bases are getting pushed up in the top 150 picks and not in the picks 400 through 700. So why are players like, like Mateo, like Miles Straw, um, like other players that I'm not remembering, why aren't they getting pushed up? Um, and why are they getting stuck um, sort of like in the way back end of these DCs and they're not getting pushed up right to the top, right to the top of these reserve rounds. So that, that's sort of why I've been targeting him. And when I got Mateo, I sort of liked, I liked, I liked to handcuff in these 50 rounders. Uh, um, I like to stack positions just to sort of, um, because I do, I do take more risks than most players do in the first, I'd say 23 rounds. Like I get, I, I got, I, I generate a more risky team. However, I do like to stack some of the some of the some of the players I've taken, like Mateo. I know I didn't take him in the first twenty three rounds, but just to hedge that to hedge my bets um, in a different way than others do. 
I think that's interesting, Zach. I was you know, looking at your team, and I, I did notice that a little bit. That's I, I, I like that strategy. I, I'm a little different. I'm always like, well, I want to get a little bit of here, a little bit of here, and just to give myself more options. But you know, spreading yourself thin like that, you could just strike out on all those guys and end up with with really no depth there. If you're if you're stacking um, a position or a team uh, for you know a, a set of positions you have a much higher hit rate on those. And also if you've been doing kind of the deep dive that sounds like you've been doing on some of these players where you have a little more confidence in their uh, potential to contribute this year, that gives you some good options. I'm probably having 10 guys out of my fir- out of my 50 that are probably, you know, DOA. Um, so that's, that's, that, uh, um, that's something I maybe will pick up on. Right on. Uh, what about the Yankees guys? Any thoughts on them? So, I've probably missed other guys. Like I'm, I'm assuming Montgomery is sort of a lock, and he's kind of like, to me, he's kind of a boring guy. Um, he's sort of yeah. like a, a J.A. Happ, who I think is still going way too early. Um, um, but what are your thoughts on them? So, uh, Loisaga, I like. Yeah, um, you know, we were in on him last year, and obviously I think it was an injury. And try. I kind of made a um, conscious effort this year to not draft injured players. Last year, took a bunch of shots on guys that had some injury, either history or current injury, trying to play the what-if game, what if they're healthy, and it really backfired, especially in a few of the mains I was in. Uh, I remember just going hog-wild on some injured players late, and it was a complete uh, disaster. So I've really been trying to stay away from, from those type of players. So uh, I don't even think I've looked his way at all. He, you know, he has, he's got some good stuff. I, I did see him pitch a few times. He has that definite K upside and someone has to pitch for them, right? You got what Cole Tanaka, uh, Paxton Happ, and then probably a lot of six man rotation. So, you know, Montgomery, and then there's, going to be someone else. Anyone pitching for the Yankees is always of interest. Obviously a higher chance of wins. And there's something about those damn pinstripes that uh, seem to really bring out the best in players. So uh, he's someone I could see contributing. Uh, who are the other two? The other two that I mentioned were Clark Schmidt. Um, I don't know too much about him. Um, like, I don't know. I didn't, I, I don't go very deep on him. I know he's a prospect and I know that he's got some good stats down in the minor leagues. Uh, and then I also said, well, as again, in D- Davey Garcia, D- Davey Garcia, they're, they're rookie. Um, right. They're yeah. uh, little skinny rookie flamethrower. So, so my partner in crime, Mike Mager, uh, otherwise uh, his handle is Bronx Yankees for uh, all of you NFBC players. Everyone knows Mike, uh, huge Yankees fan, obviously. And um, he's generally conservative on young players and he's not a he's not a Yankee homer at all uh, at all as far as um, guys he likes to draft. Um, so, but but Schmidt and Garcia are two that he has talked up a little bit, and uh, you know he's drafted in some of these later rounds of the DC. So that always gets my attention um, if he's if he's willing to take a chance on a, on a few of the of the uh, rookies. I've gotten Garcia a few times. It looks like he. Can contribute if, if not in maybe middle you know maybe he's an opener maybe he's a follower um, 
honestly, I don't know much about Schmidt. I just hear he's probably their top pitching prospect. And again, being a being a, a long-suffering Mets fans, Mets fan, I, I I always just assume a Yankee young player rookie is going to do well, and a Met uh, will do poorly. Uh, for example, last year, Pete Alonso. Um, I had nowhere. I had literally zero shares of Pete Alonso last year because of my uh, trauma associated with being a Mets fan and uh, just another complete uh, miss on that one. But Schmidt and Garcia seem like they have good stuff. Again, I'm always expecting the Yankees, uh, young kids to come up and do well. So I could see one of those three you've mentioned coming out and, and being a star. I mean, I remember Severino a few years back, um, you know, it was kind of unheralded and. Uh, came out of nowhere and was was spectacular. So that that would not shock me. Cool. All right, let's go on to our last question before we talk about um, getting to some specific players. But this is from uh, Greg Am Greg uh, Greg Okay. So um, I'm new to this. He's saying, um, can you please talk about the difference in strategy in main event versus DCs? So it sounds like he's um, new to this whole NFBC thing, and he just wants to know what the difference is. And, uh, how you, how do you, how do you, pro, how, how your strategy? Maybe for the more advanced people, you can talk about like how your strategy would change um, in terms of specific, um, specific elements. Yeah. So um, thanks, Greg, for the question. Um, yeah, this I think is a really interesting topic. Uh, I, I think early on when they. Um, started with the draft champions format, the, the thinking was these were great prep for the main. And I, th- I think that thought still persists to this day. So, I, you know, I think one thing interesting to talk about for a few minutes here is, is that really true? Are DCs really great prep for the main? Um, and I think, I think there are some ways they are and some ways they're not. So I'll start with ways that they are. Uh, you know, I think obviously going 50 50 deep is a great way to learn the player pool. Uh, you know, I know there's plenty of amazing players out there who literally go through every single player and whether it's uh, reading in the forecaster or the projections or um, Statcast or Fangrass, whatever they're using for information, they'll go through every single player. So they're probably getting a great um, dive into the player pool without having to do DCs, but DCs is a great kind of uh, – say shortcut, but it's maybe shorthand for learning the player pool. So there's no real substitute for understanding who's in the pool. And I think that's one advantage of the DCs that does help in the main. Uh, The second one I think is roster construction. To me, uh, that's my bigger areas of emphasis more than player evaluation. And um, what I think, um, um, better at than, um, than than other aspects of fantasy baseball. So these DCs can help you. I'm going to start. I'm going to go heavy pitching to start. I'm going to go heavy hitting. I'm going to go balanced. Um, I'm going to you know wait on you know this category. You know go early on, on another category. It, it gives you a chance to play out some of those scenarios on your roster construction. So when it comes time for the big events, um, you've already gotten a sense of. Wh- which approach you think is going to be the most successful. Um, you know, another good thing is um, drafting from different parts of the, um, the 15 uh, draft positions. So drafting early, drafting mid, drafting late. I think that's good intel when you do your Kentucky Derby style preferences for the large events, 
having run um, some different drafts from different positions, I feel like gives you a little better sense of the kind of your comfort level. Where do you think you're going to be able to draft your best team? I know folks say you can win from anywhere, and of course, literally that's true, but I always have preferences, and I think there are some edges in certain positions, and it, it changes year to year. And, you know, I think the draft champions helps with that. Uh, and then, you know, I think the last, you know, plus is um, just getting a sense for the flow of these drafts. Where are guys going? Where are the position runs happening? And I think that's, I think that's valuable to get, again, some additional comfort, not with, only with the players, but kind of how they're being distributed in these drafts. Now, of course, there are flip sides to all of these. That I'll start with the last one. Everyone says this, and it's generally true. You could throw ADP out the window at the main event. Um, there's amazing players. They have their guys. They're getting their guys. It's irrelevant, for the most part, where they've been going in previous drafts. I think one thing that can be a uh, disadvantage to doing a lot of DCs is it kind of gets ingrained in your mind where guys are going. But you have to remember, you're doing these DCs, right, starting in as early as like November. And things change, even in the DC season. And then right up until the, the, you know, the actual big events, they really change. So you have to really be willing to let go of a lot of the things you've learned from those DCs and not start over, but, you know, um, be open to it being different than you remember or you or you feel like it's going to go. So I think that's one uh, difference there. Obviously, the level of competition is, is very different. There's a lot of amazing players who play DCs. The ones that uh, Mike Posado organizes um, has, you know, just some of the best players all the time. That's kind of what got me going, uh, in, you know, in this hobby was playing with, uh, you know, playing with the best but obviously at the main events, uh, putting up the, the, the larger entry fees, level of competition just jumps, you know, multiple levels. And, you know, you could have a false sense of security from how you've been doing or feeling about your DC, DC teams. Uh, the other thing is, you know, when you have an hour to make a pick, two hours, five minutes if it's a MTM fast DC, uh, but... None of that replicates what being on the clock is. You know, when you're, uh, when you're either at a live event or even doing it online and you have 55 seconds or a minute, nothing replicates that um, uh, intensity, the kind of the, the adrenaline. And you have to really kind of center yourself and be able to just make the, make the right selections, the right decisions. So I think, you know, you, DCs alone won't prep you for the main. I like to do a few online championships or some other one minute type drafts to just get my, get my flow going with uh, having a minute. You know, obviously the biggest difference is probably no fab, obviously for the draft champions and fab for the draft for the main events and other big events that really does change strategy saves is kind of one area. Uh, I'm much more comfortable coming out of a main event with only one closure than I would be in a draft champion. And just also how you handle the back end uh, or the reserve rounds. You know, it's a shorter reserve round in the main, only seven rounds. But, you know, you don't have to have coverage at all the positions like you do in a DC because you can't make moves during the year. So, um, you know, obviously you can take a few more chances. 
Uh, maybe draft a guy who you know might not be up yet. Maybe draft a guy who's coming off an injury. A couple of the uh, the ceiling players. You could always dump them uh, early and pick up guys on the wire. So I think that changes things. And the last thing I'd say, Zach, is just um, the overall versus the league uh, framework. So of course there is an overall draft champions contest, and I think guys who play a lot of them are are thinking about that, but. I think oftentimes the the DCs are prep drafts and, you know, I think people are, you know, trying to just, you know, get into shape and also probably, you know, more focus on maybe competing in the league where in the main events, everyone's playing for the overall. It just changes a little bit of kind of going for a solid team, which I typically try to do in a draft champions uh, towards going to a team that could win the overall in the main. So um, again, it's, it's an amazing contest. It's kept us going throughout this uh, extended draft season. I don't know where some of us uh, draft junkies would be without it. I'm actually doing a ton of uh, NFFC draft champions now, months earlier than I ever would for football, just because there's nothing else happening. And it provides entertainment, camaraderie, and, you know, I, I, I love it, but it doesn't always get you to where you need to be for the main events. I actually want to get into one of those football ones. I'm looking at, I'm actually looking right now to, to try and maybe enter it. I want to do a football. I want to start drafting football and I actually want to get into an auction for baseball, but going back to what you just said, because you did say a mouthful, um, where do you like to draft from? Have you, like you talked about preference, um, you can win from anywhere in the draft technically, but where, what, if you don't mind, uh, what do you, what, what's your Kentucky Derby, uh, preference? That's such a great question. I, I've honestly been focusing so much on uh, on football right now, uh, trying to figure out you know what makes sense there. That I you know it's it's been a few weeks for baseball, and I've probably done one draft in eight weeks, and I haven't really looked uh, other than just to kind of think about today's podcast. You know, I love that top three, but I'm not the biggest on the on the turn guy. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people love that. I I tend to like the fifth or the fifth or sixth spot, or maybe go back to the 10, 10 or eleven spot. You know, to me, there's a clear top seven here, and I you know I would love to get uh, one of those guys. And I still think there's a lot of depth in that second and third round. Um, obviously baseball is different than football. There's no third round reversal. So there's less of a penalty for being kind of up front. So, uh, honestly, if I'm probably, you know, top seven somewhere is where I'll probably be, uh, prioritizing come the main events. And I'm with you on that. I like the top, I like the top of the draft for sure. I think, um, I think uh, it gives you a, a huge advantage coming back as well. I think I love I love the players you can get uh, on the turn, like your stats, like your scarce stolen bases and batting average. I think second base is such a, I find it to be such a hard position to fill after round three now, given how the drafts are going. Um, some of them, some of those guys are spilling into round four, round four in November and December, but not anymore. Um, and the only other player that I really well, not, not the only player, but I, I do like Biggio, but he's getting pushed up very high now considering where he was and his track record. I still like him, but um, he, he's just going to be costly to acquire, um, and the opportunity cost of drafting him is just quite high um, given what else you can get around that time. Um, so I really want to come out of round three with one of the second basemen that I like, and obviously Albies is one of them, um, and uh, you know the other ones. 
Um, but um, uh, I know I sort of cut you off there, but uh, in, in terms of your thoughts of, of you, were, you were in the middle of saying um, that you do like the, the top of the draft, top end of the draft, top seven. Um, do you share any of those sentiments? Yeah, no, uh, that was basically my thoughts on, on the KDS. Second base to me is the most interesting position this year. Uh, I, from my valuations, I feel like the, I love that as, as a player, Albies, Torres, Altuve, Hira, Valar, I, I like them all. I, I really do. Um, I did feel see, like. Did you see Marte? Our DC board and Kettle Marte had a green coloring from uh, his outfield eligibility. So, yes, Kettle Marte as well. I think that was good. Uh, I, uh, I think what you, I think you had did an excellent job of explaining um, the, the, the interrelationship of the draft champions with the main event from someone that uh, is experienced, very experienced, uh, experienced playing both. So I, I think that anyone that was listening to that definitely got something out of that. So thank you for that. That was, that was an excellent, excellent, excellently uh, prepared a little um, briefing on that. Um, but, uh, the, the next part of this pod that I wanted to jump into was, um, these are players that I've noticed have been, that, that have been pushed up of late. So in the second, I'm looking at the second, second chat, second chance draft champions ADP. Um, I don't know if we're gonna have a chance to go through them all. And I don't know if you want to add to them, but I'm going to start going through my list. And these are players that basically uh, that I'm not going to get for the most part. I'll, I'll put a caveat in that, that I do like some of these players and I am getting them for the right price, but these are players that I'm noticing that are getting a little, little pushed up a little bit too much for my comfort. And a lot of these players, it's because I've heard on other podcasts that um, I respect a lot, um, just them hype, getting a lot of hype and just a lot of hype around just the gen- like drafts in general, like the, the people that me and you draft with. So I'll start with a player. Uh, I'll start from the top of the ADP, and this player is not getting pushed up. However, I did want to I did want to mention him because he's a player that I'm not getting and I won't be getting. His name is Trey Turner. Uh, he's he's been going in, uh, and, and I'll explain. Um, and, I, and I was thinking about this, and, and I've never really been able to articulate why I I don't want Trey Turner. And I've talked I've, I've talked in the podcast before with with uh, Drew Morris specifically about this, and he was trying to um, convince me to draft him. But Trey Turner's always been going in the first round the last couple of years. Um, probably as far back as I can remember, probably the last four years at least. Um, and he, his ADP never seems to waver. He's always, he's always he's been as high as maybe three, sometimes three, four, and been as low as like eight, nine, ten. I don't know, but he's always been around that area. But the thing is, he's going to draft that high because of one reason, one reason only: his stolen base potential. Now, don't you can't tell me every year that the way that you can construct a team is the same. Stolen bases fluctuate where you can get them how plentiful they are and how they compare in, in terms of their value to other stats um within the draft so i don't get it is it, it why is he always in that range and and to further my point is i've drafted him before in not nfbc leagues but in other leagues and as my source of st- stolen bases and he has he has gotten injured before and the years where i've had him and he's been injured my team has sunk um, and I'll tell you that, like, um, just 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 the experience of being in a ton of fantasy baseball leagues, you, you you tend to get this gut feel for things. And last year, for instance, I had a lot of Jose Ramirez, not not a ton, but a lot. I had I had a good I had a good exposure to him, and and he he shit the bed for the first half of the year. But you know what? Those leagues I still did well in. It. And your your first couple picks are so important. And for me to survive the Jose Ramirez. Um, 
um, I guess debacle and not the Trey Turner. I guess it's different because he was an injury, but uh, those years, but I think what I'm saying is twofold to summarize my ramble. One is you're putting a lot of eggs in your one in, in putting all your eggs in one basket for your stolen bases per se. And number two, just the landscape of fantasy baseball fluctuates so much that I can't get behind the math of him always being a mid first round pick. I totally agree with you on this one. I have no Trey Turner this year. Um, he is a player I've rostered in the past. I think there's still this thought that he can steal 60 <laughs> and, um, he, he's, he's not going to do that, I don't think, and he hasn't done that. Um, and it, I, it's, it's a really – it's interesting how certain players kind of cast a spell and uh, people fall into the spell. He's a, he's a good player and he's on a good team. You know, there's some question about where in the lineup he's going to hit. I think that's interesting this year, and and people seem to be discounting that. You know, if he doesn't hit first, uh, that that changes the dynamics of, of the the statistics you are, are are buying there. And depending on how you've constructed your roster, could be problematic. Um, you know, he's got pops, so you like that. His average is there, so he definitely is more than a one trick pony. You know, we we know of all the other. The Malik Smiths. Everyone always pours on, uh, you know, uh, rags on poor Malik Smith. But um, you know, Trey Turner, you know, nothing like that. You know, maybe for good, for good reason. For good reason, yeah. they, they rag on him. Um, yeah. So you know, I, I think it's just a spell he has. I, I agree. I don't. You know, I'm not looking at any end of season valuations here uh, to tell you if he's ever returned first round value, but. Um, he doesn't seem like he does, even though it, it looks like he should or he could. So, and you're right. If if something happens to him, it's really hard to recover. You know, he, uh, last year I had a lot of J Ram too, and even though it seemed like he was tanking your team, end of the year with the other things he was providing, you know, more RBIs and 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 the power with the speed, uh, I ended up winning a few leagues with him on that team. Turner, I don't think you have as much leeway there, so. Uh, I agree with you. I don't. I don't get it, and I'm usually looking elsewhere at that at that point in the first round if I'm drafting more towards the middle of the back. All right. Next next guy I want to move on to is um, Starling Marte. Now he's a guy that I that I don't have anywhere, and I won't have anywhere. And he's a perfect example of um, someone that's getting pushed up even further now, um, uh, given after the trade, and now even in in March, April, May. Um, because you got guys like Todd Zola taking him in, in the first round, um, very respected person. And then you have you also have um, I'll, I'll call out another person, uh, Toby from Batflip Bat Crazy. He's quite high on Marte, um, grabbing him. I've seen him grab uh, Marte quite early, and and Toby's one of the guys I respect. Maybe the, like I, his podcast is one of my favorite ones, if not he's, he's top. That's top three for me for sure. That I listen to him, and I think he's very smart. Um, so I'm not trying to say that he's wrong, but he's one of like. He, this is just an example of, I find that once you have a couple of those Zola and, and Toby, those guys, it, 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 they definitely do influence the market, whether you want to agree with it or not. And Marte, because of that or not because of that, is going really high now, like um, way too high for my comfort. Um, in terms of position eligibility, I'd much rather take the Ozzy Albies um, approach uh, and grab him um, too early, in quotations. 
Um, but another thing I want to talk about Marte, uh, well, next, the one thing I want to uh, cite about him specifically before I let you talk is his games played every year. So I'm looking at his games played. He's played one, two, well, I won't count his, I won't count his rookie season where he played 47 games and I won't count his season where he was suspended and he only played 77 games. He played one, two, three, four, five, six other seasons. In those six other seasons, only one time has he played more than 145 games. So he's missed. He's, he's consistently missing like 20 games a year for knick-knack injuries. Guess what? Those knick-knack injuries are going to cost him 25% of the season this year. Um, that's really interesting. He's a player that I do like. Um, you know, obviously that it's interesting though, you know, he has a similar profile as Turner. I mean, not the same amount of speed, but the batting average, um, the, you know, the 20 home run power. There's a couple things to like about him this year. He's obviously moved to a better lineup. He's getting out of Pittsburgh, which is a complete, you know, disaster right now. Uh, of course, though, there's a couple of, you know, negatives to that going to a new team and, you know, just, this is off topic, but, you know, the, the really tragic passing of his wife, you know, which is just a horrible thing that just happened to him. You know, these guys are human. You just never know what something like that's going to do to a player uh, during a year. So I just feel, I really feel for him. And you just have no idea sometimes that Spurs guys, sometimes it, it, it makes it really tough. Uh, the one thing I'd note, and I just want a point I wanted to make when we talked, when you told me about this um, topic for today is, the difference between auction prices and snake draft prices, right? So uh, I have a couple shares of Marte. I think I've gotten them in a few of the online auctions, uh, although I think I might have grabbed them early second round in, in one draft in one DC also. So I think I have maybe one auction one and one snake. Uh, uh, but the, the spot I noticed him really gaining steam is in the auction format. Um, he was going for like 27, 28 in those early auctions and then went up to 32, 33. I even saw him at 35 bucks. So those are huge jumps. I looked at the ADP, it was around 22 for the second chance drafts. And it was like maybe 26 in the DCs before that. So, you know, that's still, that's still a move. I mean, now it's, you know, mid, you know, early to mid second instead of late second where you could usually get them earlier in the draft season i noticed him moving up in auction so yes he is almost too pricey now uh, for me given that injury um history you noted um the uncertainty of the new position you know his unfortunate person uh, personal circumstances now so uh had to really cinch it up to, to 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 pull the trigger on him in the second round in the main event i would think yeah yeah i think uh I'm out on him for sure. Um, uh, get, uh, next person I want to talk to has an ADP of 41 in the second chances. And he's not a player that he's not one of the players that's getting pushed up because of like uh, hype right now, but well, not well, sorry, he is, but he's not getting pushed up by uh, the experts per se aren't pushing this guy up. It's more of the masses that are pushing this guy up. Do you know who I'm talking about? Um, Bo Bichette. Yes, you are correct. And he went, and, and this is sort of a, a teaser or uh, for our, our review of our draft. He went in the third round, uh, picked nine in the third round by, uh, for, uh, by our good friend Mike the Milk Masato. Uh, I 
I like Bichette, but he's just getting pushed. I just he's just sort of a footnote on in this segment. He's just getting pushed up so much. I was grabbing him in round five, round six, well maybe round six in the twelve teamers in the in the rotowires, but now he's going so high. Mike took him over Ketel Marte, um, Jose Altuve, um, and Xander Bogarts. Like Mike has this thing called drafting with idiots, but I'll call him out because he's he's going to come on the podcast later this week. He said, and man. I think that's an idiot move right there. I am certainly not going to call the Godfather an idiot uh, on uh, on live podcasts, but uh, I will. I, will. I, <laughs> um, I can tell you this: I can see Bichette going at the two-three turn in the main event. Uh, I don't think he'll make it out of the early third round in the main event. So I'll think I think he'll be going earlier than maybe Javi Baez and Alberto Mondesi. I think. I think he'll get pushed up even further. I have been playing NFPC since like my ninth season, and I've seen some guys fly up boards, but this is one of the biggest high flyers I've ever seen. And uh, I actually have seen a lot of the the uh, image makers, quote unquote, of the industry really touting him, and kind of a lot of the image makers in in the industry are definitely. Um, talking about him a lot and seem like they're trying to uh, one-up each other to get him before the other one does. Uh, I was just saying that shortstop to me is my favorite position to draft this year. It's so deep. I find myself getting three shortstops in a lot of drafts. I don't have him yet. So uh, that just tells you kind of where I'm at. Uh, Probably, uh, you know, obviously amazing pedigree, you know, living here in Colorado when I first moved out here. Uh, Dante was the man out here, and uh, I definitely don't doubt he'll become a superstar, this kid. Uh, I just don't see the need to draft him that early, given the other guys at the position you can get much later. Yeah, I agree with you. And I hopefully I get to live like uh, live the same dream that you dreamed or that you lived uh, seeing Dante because I'm in, I'm in Toronto, so I'll get to watch a lot of Bo and go to some of the games and see him. Next guy, um, JTR. Uh, ADP 52 and no, he's not so much getting pushed up, but I know he's getting touted by certain experts a lot to, to draft, to, to grab JT real Muto real early. And um, just too early for me for a catcher. Um, and there's been a talk about uh, the short season and maybe catchers lose value because um, they uh, um, won't be playing as many games. They can't like, they think they're going to stack the season into a more compressed schedule. Um, however, I did. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but on the MLB Network, uh, they interviewed manager Joe Girardi. He was talking about um, how the short season is going to impact things, and he's saying that it's going to probably impact the. Um, it's, he, he was talking. He also he said that hitters take a longer time to sort of get get into the groove of things, but at the same time, he's not going to be. They're not going to be throwing the pitchers. Um, Letting them go, letting them get loose for the, for the for the first month or so. But one thing they did mention, um, and I'm trying to remember um, what he said, so I don't I don't misquote him. But what he what he uh, what he did say about JT Realmuto is that perhaps once things get underway in a short season, he uh, doesn't have to worry as much about uh, Realmuto getting worn out. So he's saying that he can maybe play more games. Um, than he than he would have normally like a higher percentage of the games after things I guess after um, spring training and I guess maybe the first X number of weeks into the season. So Girardi, being a catcher, knows how it knows how it is, and he's now he's saying that he Romuto might even 
have a higher percentage of playing time. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? He's a player who, who I think could most benefit from the NLDH. Uh, I could see him playing almost every day. Uh, he could be their DH on his off days from catching. So I think he could absolutely um, be a monster this year, given that. Now, that being said, I and I love this guy. I've had him on a few teams in the past few years, uh, and he has, he has been um, a huge part of uh, winning a couple of those leagues. I don't have him this year, and it's because of something I think you alluded to, and it's that the kind of the catcher distribution and team and roster construction. Uh, I've just been waiting on catcher. There's a nice little um, pocket of catchers that I like this year that I think are going way too late, and given that there's so few good catchers right now, it's still a big edge to have a good one, and my valuations but I just can't pull the tree. Even though he does bring that as a catcher, I've just been off him and getting kind of my, my quote-unquote guys later on from the catching uh, and still think I have a little edge even with those guys. So love the player. I think he's got a huge upside with this uh, universal DH. I don't doubt he'll return his value. I just haven't got him for pure roster and team construction reasons. Yeah, I haven't got him either. And you know what you said makes a lot of sense. It's kind of it, I kind of have FOMO here, uh, not getting him. Uh, I, in our draft that we did, I could have taken him over Trevor Bauer in the fifth round because uh, he did he did last longer than he normally did in our draft. Yep. He went he went to pick five point five, which is quite late. Um, I'm looking at it okay, like where I took my other catchers. Um, like going back, I took my second catcher in round twenty five, John Gomes, and the pitchers around there were like Mike Fires and Yusei Kikuchi, which like um, bar from my mouth. Um, <laughs> I don't want those players. So um, I'd rather have Bauer and Gomes than, than Real Muto and then any of those garbage pitchers, right? Uh, but then going up, like I could have replaced Will Smith as my first catcher with who went next, Joe Musgrove, Josh James. He, well, you know what? That might have made some more sense. But yeah, no, no, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just not a guy that takes catch early in these drafts. Um, but um, yeah, we can move on to the next guy that I have. Um, and one of them is Jesus Lazardo at pick. He's, his ADP now is 77, which is ridiculously high. He's going in that range where like almost like superstars are going. I don't know, short season, but Julio Urias, my boy, is going at pick 122 still. Um, just. Um, Comparing them, much rather have Urias. I think they're very similar players. I almost personally prefer Urias over Lazardo. But what are your thoughts on uh, Jesus? It just real quick, I just want to mention one more thing about Real Muto, which I think just goes back to the point I made earlier about the difference between auction prices and 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 snake prices. He's been going like $19, $20 in auctions, which I think is a big profit. But every catcher is, has a similar level, uh, level of profit. So I've just been avoiding him there even, even though you can you know, make some money on that pick. because You can make money on catchers elsewhere through the draft. So just another example where I think the, I think the price is right, but you can get that same price and profit potential on other catchers later. So just kind of, I just want to echo that point about the difference between the two. Luzardo. Wow. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's a good point. I'm saying. Luzardo. Wow. Um, right when 
the season got kind of postponed, like that second week of March. I did, I did a few drafts, and I'm like, Luzardo, he's the guy. You know, this is perfect. And I did get him, I think, maybe seventh round or something. I'm like, ooh, this is, you know, this is, it's, it's way up from where he was going. I heard or I saw on a tweet he went in the fourth round of a recent draft. So, wow, talk about helium. Jesus. Um, no, no pun intended. Yes. <laughs> you know, he passes the eye test. His projections look fantastic. He looks like a possible superstar. The short season could really benefit him. All of that, I think, is true. You know, the point that a lot of smart minds have made about him is he has never really gone more than five innings. Is that going to change this year, his first year out? He might get more innings as a percentage of the total amount of innings, which definitely adds to his, um, his, his potential. But if he's not getting that five innings, if they're going to dump him after four and two-thirds or he's barely going to make it past five, go five and a third, you're not going to get the wins. You're not going to get the bulk of those strikeouts. I think his ratios will be really useful. I do like him. There are other ratio protectors that are going a little later that are also younger pitchers who should, who should get more of a look this year given the circumstances. I could see him going in the fourth round the mains. Absolutely, it will not be me. No, it won't be me either. But I do have Lizardo, and I do, I do actually have a share of him after the, after the shortened season too. Um, so I reached on him in the 70s, where, about where his ADP is now. But um, I think that was just a, a function of me picking on the turn, and I, and I knew that like it was between a handful of players that I wanted. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, there's Lazardo, there's Urias, there's Sano, um, there's whatever, somebody, like Correa. Like, of those four players, I know none of them are coming back to me, so who do I, like, who do I want the most here? And I just took, uh, took Lazardo just because um, uh, I knew uh, – I value him very similar to that group of players I was looking at. I don't remember if those were the exact players, but I figured he has, uh, he ha- he's the guy with a 0% chance of coming back to me. So I'll grab him and hope somebody else comes back to me. Sort of what I'm thinking. Uh, another guy that's moved up quite a bit is um, Marcel Ozuna. He's now at ADP 90. Um, I have nothing bad to say. I'm, this is, uh, I'm trying to play devil's advocate to have saying why these players shouldn't be moved up, but I don't really have an argument uh, against it here. He just, uh, some, he's sort of like a side note, sort of, Sort of like my Bichette note that um, player that I do like, but he's getting moved up and he's getting I'm getting priced out of him. Not that I want to be priced out of him, but I've just been happy to. Uh, I don't think I have any, maybe one share of him. But what are your thoughts on Marcel? I do like him quite a bit. You know, again, this is just part of my Mets trauma, but you know, him being on the Braves. It's another one of those assumptions that, oh, my God, he's going to be amazing. What a lineup. They're such a great team. So you kind of love the context there for his new, um, his new home. He's not, like a, he's not a zero on, on the base pass. He'll get you five, seven, six, seven bags. I think that's helpful. It's a solid average. It's just a really solid profile. Uh, it's funny you mentioned him. I'm looking at our draft, Zach, and he went uh, picked two of the sixth round right before I was going to pick, and I think I was going to take him there, uh, ended up pivoting to Mercado, which was probably uh, a little early for him, but I just thought I needed um, another outfielder that could provide some, some, some speed there. It wasn't a zero at power. Uh, I really like Ozuna. Uh, I think he's going. I think his price is pretty fair. I have him way, way up there in my projections and valuations 
So um, I've gone in like 77 here, right? Yeah, yeah. And Lizardo, <laughs> just for reference, Lizardo went right before your other pick at pick, right. um, what was it, 76, 5, 4, 3, 72, pick 72, Lizardo went. Yep. Um, and I, in the fifth I was thinking of him, I'm not going to lie, I was thinking of him there and going, going, going trips there, Kershaw, Morton, Lizardo, I was thinking of just going for it, but uh, I think uh, I got saved for myself. You know, Ozuna, another interesting player in the auction. That's where I've gotten him a lot. Get $18, $19, a little bit under uh, where I have him valued. Just seems like a rock-solid player right there. A nice outfield two, you know, guy, and even a one if you have to really stretch. Um, yeah, those so, auctions, you, you see you see very uh, crazy, crazy things in those auctions, and you can get crazy values. Like, um, you, you'll see, like, players that are going way later are, are getting pushed up – I know I'm preaching, preaching to the choir about auctions, but yeah, Marcel, I've seen Marcelo Zuna. I agree with you. He's, he's, he's been a great value in some of the auctions. And um, uh, whoever got him before he was going above pick 100 back before he was signed or by the Braves, and they really got a steal on, on him, I think. I, don't have, I do not have many shares at all of him, like I said. Um, next person I want to talk about is, okay, I know I, I know I sort of went over the players we wanted to talk about beforehand, but we'll see if we can get this. Um, uh, it's a comp to uh, Julio Urias and Lazardo. Uh, Urias going like about, about fifty picks behind this guy. I don't know if the, I don't know if the gap's this big here, but Urias is to Lazardo. Urias is to Lazardo as Schwarber is to who? Okay. Um, this is an IQ. It's an IQ test. <laughs> yeah. This Uri- Urias to Lazardo as Schwarber is to blank. So I'm looking at the guy ahead of Schwarber. Is that if yeah, I'm looking you're, at you're looking for a you're looking for the you're looking for a guy that can do something similar to Schwarber, but he's going to cost you a whole lot more, and he's rising up boards. I'm going to take a guess. I think I maybe I'm not running this, but I'm going to say Eloy Jimenez. It's not the guy I'm thinking because okay. I, he, it's a good it's a good analogy, but I don't think he's moving up, um, and he's and he's quite a bit more like um, he's quite a bit ahead of Schwarber. The guy I'm thinking about is Fran Mill Reyes. Fran Mill. So he's going, to pick, is- he's going, he's going to pick a hundred and then you got um, Schwarber. Don't know where he's going, but like you got Lord Guriel going at 148, um, which I like a lot as well. I don't know what Schwarber's ADP is. If I can. You, you know, you, you told me Fran Mill would be a topic. I just should just, <laughs> I just looked at my notes and been like, oh, duh, Fran Mill. Um, so I'm glad you – this is really interesting. Uh, so <laughs> you mentioned Schwarber, but I have another comp, Zach, uh, that is going – I wrote this down. He's going 50 picks later than Fran Mill in the second chance draft. Don't, don't tell me. Um, let me. Let me see if I can guess it. Even later than Schwarber. Um, let me th- oh, I'm blanking on it right now. Give me the league. Uh, uh, AL. Um, okay, I've got a guy in my head, but he's going way, way, way later. Um, Chris Davis? No, not Crush. Uh, Max Kepler. Ah. Max Kepler and Fran Reyes are really, really – Similar, uh, you know, obviously more pop from Reyes, 
Um, I think a little more speed from Kepler, which will help with runs. I think their average is really close. I, I don't see a ton of difference there. They're going 50 uh, picks apart. Now, this could be a stat cast thing. That's the one thing I've noticed this year, Zach, is just the added emphasis that StatCast is having and the quote-unquote StatCast darlings are definitely providing helium. I'll just share one of my strategies that I've used so far this year, and it's not fading these StatCast darlings, but I'm looking for similar players who don't have the same StatCast profile but uh, are projected to or have produced similar numbers and I've just been defaulting to them at a lower price. So this could be a stat cast issue. I know people love how Hardy hits the ball, uh, but I see some comps. I think, you know, Schwarber is right there, too, in that same uh, exact range. Schwarber, Reyes, and Kepler look very similar uh, to each other, and um, they're all going, you know, at, at wildly different spots right now. So I think that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I I like that as well. I'm I'm I haven't been able to get Franwell. He's just in, he's just going higher and higher. Um, and um, maybe we'll um, take a look at somebody that we've been talking about a little bit already. Uh, Craig Biggio. He's now going pick one fifteen. Um, now comparing him to a guy like Lux, who's going to pick one sixty six. They're they're going in opposite directions, probably because of playing time, stolen bases. But um, basically, what I'm saying about Biggio. Okay, I like him. I've I've taken him in drafts, but I don't want to see anyone taking a pitcher in round one if they're taking Biggio this high at pick 115. And I'll tell you why. It's because of the stolen bases. He was a perfect, I think, 14 for 14 on stolen bases. You're projecting that to be a 25-20 guy uh, on the high end. Um, but you're, you're taking for the steal. So if you're going to pass on whatever else is around there at pick 115 and take Biggio for his stolen base – capabilities and his batting average risk then really like you need to i i think that you're much better off taking one of those safe guys in the first round like your um um like you're like acuna um tatis uh j ram types um that are that are just much more of a four or five guy four four or five category stud um you can disagree you can disagree with that take it is a take so um what are your thoughts on Biggio and and um, I guess the, paying the price of uh, a, a pick 115, which is, I guess, a, what round is that? I don't know. Round, but in the round eight or nine? Mid eighth in, yeah, mid eighth in the draft, we did too. Your friend, the Godfather, uh, who took Biggio there to pair with Bichette. Um, I, I haven't taken him at all. Uh, I'm looking right now. I don't, as far as now, again, these are projections and they, you know, there's variance there, but it's his batting average that has um, turned me away. And I'm looking, I don't think anyone has a lower projected batting average in the first eight rounds other than him, Miguel Sano, and maybe Gary Sanchez. Like there's not another hitter going in the top, um, what's that, uh, 120 that has an average that low. And I am really more than ever emphasizing batting average in my um, kind of roster construction. So uh, if I need those 15, 20 bags, um, 
Colton Wong, um, Cesar Hernandez, uh, you know, Nico Goodrum, Kevin Newman. I mean, there's some other guys where I can get steals. Now, listen, they're nowhere near the player, Kevin Biggio. I'm not saying that. But, again, I'm looking at just how I put my team together. Um, I'll probably go somewhere else where I can not have a, you know, a sub-240, 250 batting average to get some of those steals. me around that time just to, to to hammer home the point of Biggio is uh look at he's sort of on the wrong, wrong side of the tracks for me and the tracks being the closers so if i'm taking him 115 i'm passing like i'm taking him before that closer run happens even like your your like a second tier of like giles and hector Neris type closers you're taking him before those guys um whereas you can get somebody on the other side of the tracks like uh, scott kingery uh, like uh is my take so if you're going to be, if you're passing on saves for Biggio and you're taking that chance and you're taking that chance on average with that, then yeah, it's just a bit too much of a price for me. I don't, I, and, and the fact that Mike Masato picked him too, it's just not good. <laughs> um, next guy, um, let's talk about Crush Davis. Um, he's picked 173. Um, there's a lot of guys with that profile right, right now. Again, back to the batting average, he's not going to hit for a good batting average. Um, awful last year and not good the years before he's um if we're talking about we're going back to the coronavirus he's on that wrong end of the curve like he's on the right end of the curve for the coronavirus but on the wrong end of the curve for his career um i don't see him he's sort of like on that back end of the curve where he's not getting any better than he would than what he was um in his prime um and whatever he was doing last year people blame the injury um he had he was trying to adapt to a new normal for him, but he just wasn't able to. And, and will he be able to next year? I don't know. But um, at that pick, I'd much rather just take my chances on like an Ian Happ at pick two fifty now, or like I, I was getting Ian Happ at pick three fifty before. Um, I don't want to turn this into a game of um, just like player comps and and. Uh, drafting backwards sort of sort of speak and and targeting guys that you just think are better values and working backwards like that but um him i think just from what i've heard in podcasts and 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 people that are drafting a lot just think he's some sort of secret value at, at where he is he's not like nelson cruz somebody i i didn't mention either like he's no secret value at pick 70 or wherever he's going like everything's baked into that like he's not getting any better um like not to go back to nelson cruz but he's not he he doesn't he hasn't hit 300 every year of, of his career he's sort of gone back and forth i think he's had some like 260 seasons and like these are three category players sometimes at, like well chris davis is a, a three category player at best um so i think baked, everything baked in with his upside and his downside and and his projections like whatever like if you want to take him here is like at one pick 173 like you're probably reaching at, like at his old adp around 200 like it's probably all right all things considered so like i don't think he's anything i don't think he's some sort of like cheat code here um he is in the auction format because i have him i think in every auction that i've done uh i guess my, my, apo- my apologies no no I'll, I'll, wait, I'll wait i'll wait to hear the story though no, listen, this is, this is how we get to be better players is talking, uh, talking it through and hearing differences of opinions. You know, 
that's the one thing that sometimes, uh, you know, I, I haven't been on Twitter that long, but there's, you know, like in anything, there's a lot of group think and, you know, people are, are afraid to offer a contrary position. I, I've kind of, I've enjoyed your pod because you are not, you're not, um, you are willing to throw a contrary opinion out there and um, not just for a hot take. You, you know, you, you have some, you know, you're, you're backing it up with, you know, your, your reasoning. So uh, I love the discussion. It's really interesting. He He's been going like five to eight dollars in auctions, where I have my, as like a thirteen dollar player, and um, you know, different from where like catcher, where everyone you can get is you know a five dollar profit potential. That's not as easy to find later in auctions. So I have found myself rostering him. It's interesting where he's going. He's going with a lot of other guys who have that 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 batting average downside. But you know, at that point. Hopefully, in my drafts, I've already established a pretty solid foundation of batting average, and can kind of accept that. Uh, and you know, when you look at just what he's where he's going compared to Alvarez and Cruz, um, it's maybe it's a mirage. You know, uh, you know the way you're talking about it, it seems like he's a little bit of a cheat code there. But the more I'm kind of looking at it, it might be a mirage of of profit there. It might not actually be what it seems. It seems like, you know, because Alvarez and Cruz are going at value in auctions and, and in snakes where Davis is not. But it doesn't mean you have to get him there. You know, he's just, he's just a UT only. That, that's not helpful. And coming off a tough year, really only power, no bags at all, no average. So, you know, maybe I've been getting caught up a little bit in that kind of barrage of profit there. And I've kind of found myself uh, moving away from him uh, for sure in snake drafts as he's moved up the board, as you've said. So I think that's, 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 that's kind of an interesting um, perspective there. So not sure in a, in, in a main event if, if he's a guy I'll be, I'll be looking at right now. Right on. Another guy that's been moving up a lot, and I didn't even know, I didn't even realize until I, I was looking at the ADP for this exercise, was Dansby Swanson going at pick 202 now. Um, last time I remembered – um, he was going in the mid 200s. Um, now, I like Swanson. I, I'm looking at his stats, and, and I'm just I can I can see him taking a step forward. So I like him. But he's just he's another guy like Bichette and um, Oz, Oz, Ozuna, where he's just been moving up. And I I like the player, but I'm just saying that he's getting more expensive. It's more of a more of a commentary. Yeah, I, I totally I've seen that. Yeah, he. Probably early in draft season, he was nice. Um, yeah, 15th round in our draft, uh, so he is definitely moving on up. Um, again, shortstop is so interesting this year. I'm drafting them uh, liberally. Um, I, don't, I don't even mind having three of them and having one as my UT. I'm typically all out of shortstops by the time he's going, so I – I honestly haven't even been really looking his way as much, and it's not really probably enough of an analysis to say that, but it's just kind of pure fact of I'm already done with my shortstop uh, buying at that point in the draft. You know, he, he does a little bit of everything. You know, nothing nothing stands out there. He obviously has some pedigree, and you know, there's a chance of taking a step up there, but um, there's some other guys, you know, kind of in that range, you know, uh, Didi Gregorius is looking a little more interesting. Uh, you know, they're kind of going around the same spot. They, they, they do a little bit of difference, uh, but, you know, kind of similar players. So I think I like Gregorius a little more than I do Swanson there. 
But, you know, I'm looking at our draft, um, Zach, and that's uh, the player's first shortstop was Swanson. So I guess if you are punting shortstop and waiting to round 15, I could see him being uh, an interesting buy there. But I don't know the exact same thing as well. I was just going to – if you didn't say it, I was going to say, yeah, it was was Wagoner. I'll I'll say his name. He took him – he took him in round 15, and then he took Willie Adamas in, pick, uh, in round 19 as well. So two sort of similar profile shortstops, just, I think, guys that are just going to get at-bats. Yeah, solid I don't want to sell them short by just saying that. Like, I think, sure. I think um, Swanson has some upside to become much, much better than he was in the past throughout his career so far. Um, next, let's move on to the next player I had written down here is uh, Dylan Bundy. Now, Dylan Bundy um, is going at an ADP of 218. Um, I remember I got him in the 400s um, when back in November. So he's gone up a lot. People are liking him. But my only, my only thing here, um, I'm not going to take him this early, personally. My only thing is, Mr. I'll remind you of one thing, and you can let you talk about Bundy. He's never been good. I... I and I'll, the long version is that his it, like his peripherals and his stat cast are, are, are look nice and tasty, but he's never been good, and he's had a long time to be good, and he's never been good. That said, I, I was grabbing him in the three hundreds and four hundreds back in back in the day, but that's, I won't be getting him anymore. What are your thoughts on Bundy, Mark? Yeah, this is he's an interesting case study in this season, which is probably the most unique season I've ever been a part of in fantasy baseball, where there's just so many external circumstances. We have the unbalanced schedule. We had the thoughts of they're playing in Florida and Arizona, that that they're playing in their home parts. There's no fans. Uh, They're only playing 80 games. There's a universal DH. And, you know, everyone's trying to get a handle on how these things um, are going to affect players. You know, he's somebody – who um, has a few things going for him. You know, I think obviously pedigree, uh, going to a new ballpark and a better team, getting out of Baltimore, that's just been a death sentence for pitchers for a long time. So getting out of Baltimore, getting to a much better stadium. Now, of course, are they going to play in California? We don't know these things. Uh, He, but, you know, I think his – his actual performance has never matched his peripherals. He's one of those kind of players. And this is where um, I diverge a little bit from uh, the, um, the really good players who look at the underlying metrics, the stack cast numbers, and really try to um, value players based on that. Whereas I sometimes will look at actual performance and projections. And not that they don't, but I might overweight them relative to the field. And yet he's someone who just doesn't ever really bubble up for me. I have, I got him once. It was funny. I got him for $4 in an auction and, uh, and Mike uh, Mager was giving me uh, some grief about that. Uh, but he's, you know, it's funny. He's kind of come around on him a little bit, just uh, given some of these external circumstances. But again, he, depending on how this season is going to play out and where we're going to play and all that, I think he could be uh, more valuable than it appears. But uh, yeah, I did notice that, Zach. He was going like uh, ADP of like 275 in the early DCs and now, as you said, 218. So that's a big five-round jump. I don't know. Has he gotten better in the last two months to, to warrant that? I don't think so. Yeah, I, don't, I don't get it. Um, next is uh, climbing up the ADP is Alex Verdugo 
Uh, his ADP is 229 now. Uh, it's, I'm imagining it's gone up since um, the shortened season happened because he was injured. He still is injured as far as I'm concerned. Um, he's a guy that uh, I will mention him a lot because Masato, he, he's all in on him. Did he get on this draft? Um, in the draft that we're in? Let's see. Let's do a control F on Verdugo. He did get him. He did get him in round 14, so I don't know what pick that would have been. Yeah. That's uh, pick 14 point, uh, whatever it is. Um, so what's, what's uh, 13 times uh, 15? About, about 200? Yeah, so he's taking him above his uh, his uh, new and improved ADP. Um, I don't get it. Like, there's guys like you got like Locaine, you got Adam Eaton um, going ahead of him, but you also got McCutcheon going around the same time as him. McCutcheon's a nice little steal right now. It's a different story. Um, but a lot of those guys, um, like when Masato was on the podcast, he see his bold prediction. Well, granted, I forced him to do a bold prediction. Was he's going to go with 30 home runs, 100 RBIs? No, that's not going to happen. Well, I can guarantee it's not going to happen in 82 games, but um, what, you know what I mean? Uh, I think he's more of, I don't think his, his ceiling's that high. I think he's more of a, he's more of a, of a contact hitter. He's more of a, what's a guy? He's like on the, on the, on the Diamondbacks. What's the outfielder? Uh, David Peralta. Yeah. He's more of like a guy like that. I think um, his, I think he fits the mold like that. I, like you're, I think you're paying basically for his ceiling at this at this price here. Um, I don't see any other way around it. I think this is just a terrible value for Alex Verdugo um, to, for like around pick 200. It's interesting. I was also looking at another similar player, like a Brian Reynolds type, and they actually went back to back in this uh, particular draft. Um, you know, I've been kind of tilting more towards Reynolds again, you know, back injuries, you know, everyone says this and it's just true. Back injuries are scary and I'm always trying to stay away. I think, and I think it was a back for him. Um, you know, he ha- he doesn't have the track record yet. High pedigree, uh, change in scenery. Uh, he's going to a place with more of a spotlight. You know, L.A. to Boston, a little more pressure. That not not everyone can produce in that. Um, you know, he, he he is tantalizing. I think from an average perspective, it's hard to find guys. You know, you know, fifteen round. Uh, you know, or or later that gives you that average boost. So I can, you know, if you squint, I, I, you, could, you could see it. If everything fell right, he could be really good this year. But, you know, as he's starting to move up there, you're starting to pay for that, you know. Um, and I typically don't want to pay for a guy at his, at his price where you're squinting to see it. And, um, again, I think he has a lot of um, – he could end up being a really good, uh, good, good ball player uh, if he can get the injury uh, piece down and if he can settle into uh, – to the Boston, um, uh, you know, situation there, but I'm, I'm probably, I think it's, it's a year away from me. So I'm probably out on him this year as well. Right on. Well, last guy I want to talk about, and this is a transition to our, um, we can review the draft because uh, you selected this player in our draft. Um, AJ Puck, his ADP is at 238. When did you grab him? Uh, pretty close to that. What? 225, about 228. Yeah, he's a guy. He, he's been moving up, obviously, because of the short season. But like, I don't, I don't know. Just who else you can get around that? Um, like, Kopech, Kopech. Yeah, I mean, he's, in like, that same know, round. Uh, yeah, sorry. Go Spencer ahead. Howard. Like, I've been trying to get Spencer Howard um, a lot of him, but um, 
Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, just sort of rambling here. Well, and this is just looking at one draft, so I'm not looking at the ADP right now, but uh, right before Puck went, Dylan Bundy, Mitch Keller, Garrett Richards, A.J. Puck, Dustin May, Di Stefani, Caleb Smith, that was kind of that tier. Uh, around later, it was Archer, Kopech, Yarborough, Rich Hill, Mackenzie Gore, so yeah, a lot of interesting names there. This one's just kind of been on a dream, right? I mean, obviously, great uh you know, great draft stock, um, coming off a big injury. This extra time could be helpful to him to really get his arm, uh, arm right. Uh, has a ton of, you know, could be a top you know, 20 pitcher, you know, possibly. This year, probably not, so I'm not saying that. But, um, you know, I think he was my one to my fourth starter. Uh, yeah, I would prefer not to have him as my fourth starter looking back on this team. Um, he'd be someone I'd be much more comfortable with as a fifth or sixth starter. But I think the point of this whole um, part of the show was to talk about guys who are moving up, and he's starting to move up where you're going to have to grab him as your SP4, SP5 at the latest now. And that's really starting to get up there. You're going to have to be really, really happy with your top three starters to want to take that chance. So um, You did handcuff him with Bassett, though. I'm kind of, I'm half joking, but uh, you did grab last. <laughs> no, you know that's it. It is. That, yeah, it, it is sort of. Um, you did hedge your bets in in a sense by getting both of them. Well, let me give you an, uh, another um, not a comp, but another guy that I got uh, eight rounds later is Griffin Canning, right? So he's coming off kind of a concerning injury in the spring. Sounds like he's throwing and is okay, but we have no idea what's going on with some of these guys. But in the 24th round as my seventh or eighth starter, that's where I'm kind of more comfortable taking a shot on a guy with, with that kind of potential. Um, you know, so probably should not have a team with both Puck and Canning, to be honest. Uh, but, you know, pitching's getting tricky, and, you know, the drafts are getting tricky. This is one of the trickiest years I've ever seen in drafting. So it's good if, if we get, you know, I can't say if we get a season or, or, or the mouth will scream at me that we are going to have a season. So I'll be positive. When we have our season, it's going to be probably the most interesting main event drafts uh, probably ever. Yeah. Um, how are you doing for time? Because I just I want to be sure because we're, we're getting into our draft now. Are you, are you okay for time? I'm loving this. You know, the listeners are probably like, shut up, but uh, I'll go as long as you want to go. No problem at all. Okay. We're about an hour and a half in after uh, we, we factor in all my editing that we have to do um, because we're an hour and 40, but we're probably going to get it down to an hour and hour 30-ish, uh, probably, you know, hour 35 by this point. Um, so I want to look at, uh, go, go a little bit further into your draft. Like right after Canning, you took a Kino, which is, not, which is a nice value right now because of the DH that's looking good. And then uh, another pitch I really like of yours latest, Dobnak. You got him at round 32, and that's a player that's, um, that I like a lot as well. Um, Rich Hill coming back doesn't necessarily help him, but I think um, with the short season and everything, I think he's going to be uh, good. So I like those two picks there of yours. Um, anything else you want to look at like late, uh, later on, late – any of your late picks you want to focus on before we go back up to the top? I did notice I grabbed uh, Harrison Bader there in the 28. So that goes back to your uh, very first question there. Um, oh, it was uh, Dexter Kitty. That was uh, Dexter Kitty. Yes. Thank you. Dexter. Well, the, other, the other interesting thing is guys like, and you know, t- tell me what you think about these guys, like the, the Brian Dozier types, the Jason Kipnis, and these guys that were kind of stalwart second baseman for many years are now just kind of afterthoughts, throwaways. 
Uh, you have any interest in either of those guys this year? Yeah, I like where they're going. Like I like I like Dozier more than Kipnis. Um, where he's in San Diego, right? Uh, yes, I think I think that's right. And then uh, there's the question. Kipnis is in Chicago. Uh, I know that, but yeah, Dozier right. in San Diego. Um, um, all what's what's their infield looking like? You got Jerks and Profar there, right? Yeah, I think that's so. I the like question. Dozier there, man. Like he could be good. Like I don't know, is he done? Like he's not that old. Like he's um he was a bench guy in, in Washington last year. Like at pick in round thirty nine, yeah. Like that's a great. I like that pick. I I have some Dozier um before he was um before he was picked up by San Diego. Um, like I don't think he's gonna uh, turn into an Ian Kinsler and just like be retired. Um, like I think he's still got. He's I think he still could be good. Um. Give him like a seven percent chance of winning that second base job, and um, good backup for injuries and short season. Like, um, I think I think the disparity between guys like him and guys that are like like Profar, um, I think the, it, it narrows that gap between them with the short season because I think everyone's going to be getting their days off, especially those hitters. And, um, they're not going to be playing as much, I don't think. Someone I like who you got late was uh, Keenan Middleton. You know, it's very interesting, that situation. Uh, you know, again, my Mets fandom coming out here, but Robles was, you know, an absolute nightmare for the Mets. Change of scenery. I was on him last year just because he was just absolutely free, and it seemed like he had that potential to close games, and he, he had a really good season. It, it was it was very surprising. People are treating him as a kind of a solid closer here, and, you know, um, I haven't gotten him at all, really, just kind of where he's going and just the way the saves are being distributed or the closers this year. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, uh, Butchery seems like the obvious handcuff. But uh, I like Middleton. I, you know, he was had him a couple of years ago before he got injured. He was, he was throwing hard. He looked really good. Um, he was kind of like a sneaky late-season ad, I believe, uh, off the wire. So I think he's someone to keep an eye on there. I kind of like where you got him. And uh, I think he's a sneaky, sneaky saves uh, source this year. Well, just back to back to that point. I did get Hansel Robles in the in the tenth round. There he saves is. Were, That's saves right. are always a Oops, different. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no. I, I, Robles is not a guy I normally get. I think this might be my first share of him. Um, it just he he sort of fell to me because who was there after him? Like I could have taken Kella, which maybe I should have, which you took. Um, but that was – you took him uh, – Rounds later. Like, I think about a round later, more than, more than a round later, um, well after that. But um, I could have taken him. But really there was – was sort of um, everyone was gone, just so people can realize. Yeah. Like, uh, before Robles was taken, um, he was my first closer, and, and it just so happened that uh, we can get into it, why, why that was. But in round 10, uh, he was my first closer. Uh, before him was Kimbrell, Leclerc, Archie Bradley, Colomay, Iglesias, Nick Anderson, Naris, Edwin Diaz, Giles. All those guys are off the board. Um, uh, so he was sort of – I've seen him taken before a lot of those guys in some instances. So I, I took him. But I, like you, I'm not confident with Robles. So I, I, and I don't think Buttry is, the, is, the, is, the hand, is a clear handcuff there. I think I'd much rather have Middleton than Buttry personally. Um, but uh, Middleton's coming off the TJ, but he was, he was great before that. Uh, so I, I really made an effort to put Middleton into my queue and uh, take him uh, 
take him where I did and made sure I get the, made sure I get the Robles at least like partially handcuffed there. So uh, once we, when we get into my team, um, I can talk about just uh, well. I can also talk the fact that I took Doolittle and Daniel Hudson, both of them, uh, in round thirteen and round eighteen respectively, because I sort of whiffed on that like really top tier closer. I don't have a closer that I'm really comfortable with, so I really wanted to make sure that I have. Um, uh, a backup. So I took the uh, both national guys. I have two angel guys. I took uh, I took Wade Davis, and Wade Davis is a, is a type of guy that everyone's shitting on him. But I think in this the shortened season helped him because I know his contract says if you get a certain number of saves, you get some cash. But I don't think that changes based on a 82 game season. I think that he like percentage wise, I think he may be able to get some saves. And granted, let's assume that Wade Davis loses his job at some point after let's say like getting five saves and then turning into a pumpkin happens in 162 game season and in an 82 game season, he is way more valuable in the 82 game series season. Those five saves could be very valuable. So I grabbed him. I'm not thrilled, but I do think, I do think that this short season helps him. Um, And then besides that uh, in terms of, Potential closers. Uh, I took in the 50th round Joey, Ger- Joey Gerber. He wasn't even in the player pool um, to begin with. I had to ask uh, Derek to put him in for me because he's a double A guy in Seattle, um, but they are giving him some talk about uh, getting some saves and making the roster this year. So I, I, in, a, in round 50, um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take the risk on him. Well, that impressed me, Zach, that you dug that deep that in the second or third to last pick of a of a DC you made the call for the placeholder so uh, I give you props for um, looking that deep into find a kind of a player that's way off the radar because you know usually people are just kind of mailing it in those last few rounds me included so um, I did notice that I was kind of like Derek Dietrich on Cincinnati yeah, that's a, it's a good pick because you have um, Aquino so I like I always like to sort of hedge your bets like in like sure. Uh, get a player that can be that can that can have standalone value, but also um, but also um, could um, help you in case of an injury or in case of um, somebody loses their job because of poor performance. He is, on, he, is know, on, he is on Cincinnati, right? It says that on his. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It says it, you know, it says Cincinnati, but you never know. You never know. Yeah, they don't always update it quite uh, quick enough. Uh, sometimes, you know, one, one thing I want to say, and uh, maybe you know, you were going to mention it, but I'll just throw it out there that. This was another one of the MTM fast slows, and and for folks who don't know what that means, that's usually a three-day 50-rounder. There's a two-hour clock, but um, as I mentioned earlier, in five minutes, if you haven't picked, you're getting a text from Mike, and everyone must give their cell phone number and uh, social security number to to Mike to be able to uh, do these drafts. But this was interesting. It was an, uh, another innovation from him, and he's, he's really innovated a lot of really cool things in the NFBC from the, the kind of the ultimate that he does, the Midnight Madness draft, which is uh, in Vegas after a long day of drafting another draft at, at the Bellagio, uh, these fast DCs. But this was a Zoom DC. Uh, we actually had about 10 or 11 guys on Zoom for a good amount of at least the first day, and I got to tell you, Given the quarantine and everyone's mood, it was it was much needed, and I uh, got to meet some guys, got to kind of meet you, uh, you know, at least visually, and it was a really cool thing. Um, yeah, it so, was fun. 
I hope we'll have more of those because, you know, the big part of NFBC is it really is the camaraderie. The competition is huge, but the camaraderie, the friends you've made, it's, it's harder and harder to make friends as you get older. And the really only way I've been making friends in the last 10 years are through NFBC, Andy Saxton, Mike Mager, uh, Mike Masato. I mean, I've made a lot of friends in playing uh, NFBC and NFFC and you know it's huge it's, it's huge to have good friends that care about things you care about you can be friends yeah exactly you know this you know I think we're bros now after this so uh, I'm, I'm down uh, yeah. next time I'm in Toronto I'll be looking you up for sure um, Mark will you will you accept my friendship I, I will <laughs> okay uh, anyway back to the stretch just want to say one more thing let's maybe move to the top of the board where it's a little more interesting the funny thing about these drafts and again having friends is I took Michael A. Taylor in the 49th I immediately got a text from Mike Mager saying, you just sniped me. So when you can <laughs> snipe a guy in the 49th, there's really nothing like that, especially a player of Mike's caliber. So That's funny. that kind of made my whole draft knowing that I, that I got him there on Michael A. Taylor. That's great. Uh, so, yeah, to the top of the board, you took uh, not really a whole lot to say about J-Ram and Freddie Freeman, a great start. I like that start a lot um, in, the, in round two. You were picking from the 13 hole in the uh, first, first two rounds. But I want you to talk about Kershaw and Morton, too. Uh, Sort of on the older side for pitchers. Um, you worried about Kershaw just going to hang up his cleats and stay home with his family this year? <laughs> you know, a lot. You know, a lot of these guys have spoken out. Um, I don't want to get dark here, but I have gotten much less optimistic uh, than I have been. Uh, I was convinced this was going to happen, and 120 games, 100 games. Now it's down to 80. I'm just stunned at what's happening right now. The opportunity that's maybe being missed here. You know, I, I've, you know, I, I remember the the strike of '94. You know, it's it, it's just um, this is just kind of a nightmare. We can't wake up from. I'm really hoping they figure this out so we can have a season. But it's really interesting. These older players. So Kershaw and Morton. You know, that, you know, usually you don't want to lead with you know two you know you know thirty some thirty something guys uh, as your top two two pitchers, but. Me, you know, and I was having this conversation with, with somebody about differences in kind of injury profiles. And, you know, Kershaw is one where that's that back where in the dog days, of, you know, uh, it seems to kind of crop up, uh, you know, maybe uh, similar to the, to the guy you took number one, Yelich. I wonder if having a shorter season is better for some of the back injury guys, just given that that typically crops up later in the year and, there won't be a later in the year this time. Maybe in the playoffs it could hurt their teams, but it won't hurt us. Whereas some of like the soft tissue injury guys, the calf guys, the hamstrings, those can happen at any time. And, you know, if that happens week one or, you know, whatever, you could miss, you know, 30 games out of 80, your season's completely tanked. So that was part of my thinking. A shorter season might benefit some of the older pitchers they might be able to get through. Also, the, the veteran pitchers, just have more ability, more life experience to kind of wade through what's going to be a weird season. And maybe they're just better able to do it than some of the younger guys. Um, and I found myself with a lot of Morton shares. I actually kicked myself in this one. I probably should have just taken the guy who I really like, but who I think, you know, just much higher variance. And that's Tyler Glass now there. Just given I have so many Morton shares already, I maybe should have just mixed it up to have like a Kershaw Glass now, you know, go for an old guy, young guy instead of two old guys. But anyway, that's who I ended up with from a kind of a ratio protection standpoint, which is really my major strategy with starting pitchers. I, you know, I really love those two guys, but 
um, you know, maybe there's not a ton of, uh, of ceiling uh, left with those two. And you got Blackman in round five, which is uh, well, late round five, which is quite amazing. You know, I've been, you know, living here in Colorado, a beautiful stadium. Fans are nice. Terribly run organization. I mean, you know, I think of the Wilpons and the Mets. I mean, the Monforts are just about as bad. They're just cashing their checks every year. They don't put the money back on the field. They're not even trying this year. I've been staying away from like Nolan. Not a little bit of story, but, you know, staying away from Blackman, I just think they might blow this team up. Now, that was back when it was going to be a full season. I don't know if that this changes the, the calculus. You know, back when we were going to play in Arizona and Florida the whole season, I was really staying away from Colorado. Now, when there's maybe going to be some course field games, I, I think, you know, Blackman's back on the radar. Yeah, no way he should be falling to pick 73. That's wow. absurd. Um, I, had, I didn't have an outfield at the time, so – yeah, that was a, that ended up being a no-brainer there at that point. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Colorado is one of the states where they're gonna they're gonna they don't see any issues playing in their home park, um, like like relative to some of the other states that might not be able to. I, I just don't know. I, I don't know the answer because um, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I don't live there, so I figure you would know. I don't know either. You know. Uh, you know. Uh, th- this was on Twitter a lot. You know, Cal- uh, California wasn't going to allow them, and then all of a sudden the team starts talking about playing elsewhere. Then all of a sudden they're like, "No, no, no, they could play there." You know, obviously money talks, bullshit walks on this. So we'll see. I haven't heard anything about pro sports coming back here, but you know, given where we're at with COVID here, I, I think there's at least a, de- a pretty good chance that they could play some games uh, in at-, at Coors this year. Right. All right, then after that, you took – well, you talked about Mercado a little bit already in round six, and then Donaldson is sort of a guy like he's been moving up – he's been moving up boards as well. Um, he went – you took him right after Ozuna. I think they're – I think you could make an argument for Donaldson over Ozuna. I don't know. Um, you probably you probably think similarly because you did draft him in a similar range. Yeah, you know, again, it's a positional thing there. Outfield isn't – Super deep, in, at least in my opinion, it's deep enough. I think it's better than it was last year. Last year, I found myself going much more outfield heavy. This year, it's been kind of just a more of a balanced approach. There, uh, you know, Donaldson's in, obviously in a great spot. You know, he falls into that you know calf injury bucket where uh, I would have rather had Chapman fall to me there. Uh, I I'll go with the I'll go with the younger player. Uh, that has a similar profile there if possible. But uh, to be honest, I was really hoping Moustakis fell. That was the the one real snipe there, right? The pick right before me. Uh, I like that second and third base eligibility and um, the ballpark. So uh, that was, that was one where I was kind of bumming, but you know, Donaldson's not a bad consolation prize there. Well, speaking of snipes of third basemen in this, in this, in this area, um, I, Going going over to my draft, I I took uh, Julio Arias in the seventh round, um, pick three in the seventh round. So that would have been what pick? Uh, that is uh, pick ninety three. So I I jumped ADP quite a bit, but um, I'm sort of looking at Lazardo Urias, That thing where like okay, I'm happy with Urias like two rounds after Lazardo, um, or maybe more. Um, so I and I knew he he was more than likely not coming back to me. Um, in the, on the eight, nine turn area. So in that I, I, I had, um, I had a Urias and Sano, uh, queued up there and I said, ah, well, like 
probably uh, Sano has a better chance of making it back. And Urias, I think, had a zero chance of making it back to eight eight point thirteen. I don't know what pick that is, but um, I don't think like just based on recent drafts, I know his ADP is one twenty two. I don't I don't believe he was coming back, especially in this room. Um, but Sano got picked by Wagner one pick before I did, and I think we had who was who was on with his daughter and um, and, and our Skype in, in our um, Zoom conference. Who was that? Oh, um, that was uh, Anthony, or no? It's a great question. I'm trying to. He was on briefly. He didn't. He didn't stay on right. for too long. I think it might have been Anthony. I'm trying to remember. I'm just looking at the names. Or Gillis, I don't know which one it was because I don't know everyone's name to face. But anyways, there was, there was one, one of the one of the guys drafting with us came on uh, our Zoom call with their daughter, and I just let out a bunch. Like I, I just went on a, on a rampage swearing. Like I was, <laughs> I was like, I think I was like, fuck this, fuck this piece of shit, Wagoner. He wasn't on, but then I told him I was swearing, I was cursing him out afterwards. He sniped me on Snow, um, uh, in the in the eighth round. I didn't expect him. Like you know when you're like, oh. I explained the scenario. You had, you had snow in your eyes. I'm like, oh, I'm debating which one to take. I take your eyes. I'm like both of them probably aren't coming back all the way back. Another whatever. What is it? Like another 26 picks. Snow's there when I'm on deck. And guess what? I'm sniped. Anyways, I took Carlos Correa, another uh, another back injury boy, uh, in round eight instead of Snow, which which was at pick 100 and something. I think or uh, what what would have been? What seven seven times 15 is. 105 plus another 13. So Correa was there at like pick 118 or 117, 118. I never really seen him fall that far, but so I was, I was happy to get Korea at that point. Um, the risk is is worth it to me there. Um, he was sort of, and I know you talked about shortstops. Um, just going through my draft, I'll go through it a little quickly. Uh, Yellick, I took in, I had I had the third pick. I got Yellick, and then I took Albies in round two, and I took Luis Castillo in round three. That's sort of my like. I was those were automatic for me. And then round four and five didn't love. I took Manny Machado in round uh, in four and five just because um, I took Machado because I needed a, I didn't see any more short, like all the short stops are pretty much dried up, pushed out in round three. So at the end of round four, I took Machado and then Tre- Trevor Bauer. Um, we talked, I could have took JT Romuto in round five, but I took Bauer. Um, uh, and then um, six, seven turn, I took Sonny Gray and Julio Reyes. As you can see, I was just stacking. Uh, I love these stacks. The uh, the Cincinnati Red pitchers took Louis. So I have Castillo, Bauer, Gray. Um, did end up getting sniped on uh, Disclafani, I believe. Um, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't able to get him, um, but I did. Uh, I did get the rest of. The, um, I did get some guys that could have got a, could get a chance in the rotation um, later. But where was I going with this? Yeah. So I so in round eight nine I took Carlos Correa and Ahmed Rosario. So two shortstops there. So I had three shortstop eligible people by the end of round nine. So um, yeah, that goes along the lines of what you were saying as well. And um, yeah, just kind of just jump in. I just want to just talk, talk about the Cincinnati stack. Was this um, was this pre? They're gonna all play in like uh, neutral parks and not back at uh, small park or American small park or, uh, or, or that wasn't a factor. You know, I was really curious with that, uh, the, the Austin Sinai strategy. Can you just kind of touch base on that? Yeah, sure. So um, just for reference, I did end up getting um, Tyler Molly and uh, Jose De Leon uh, in, late, in, the, in the late rounds. 
Um, and this goes back to a strategy where if I can, and it's, it's very difficult to do this in the NFBC, um, in these 50 round drafts, because you're just, it just, it just it's hard to do is to stack a pitching staff because my theory, if, if you take, if you take it, if you take it, um, if you, if you take the stance that um, every team pitches seven days a week, so there are no off days, this is just um, a theoretical world where there's seven games a week and you get a five-man rotation. You, if you have everyone on that pitching staff, you, gotta, uh, you, gotta, um, you, you are going to have two people with two starts that week, right? Do you follow that? Yes. Yep. So part of fantasy is taking away the variability. So – rather than just taking random players on random teams, you could have five players with two starts in one week, or you oh. could have zero this way. If you had theory, if you theoretically in my theoretical world had all the pitchers on the same team, you're going to be guaranteed those two starts every week by those two players. Um, and if you have four of the five at all, but it all, it all gravitates towards more reliability of having more, having a more reliable amount of two start pitchers in one week, not, and not having, that zero. And then you are going to supplement that with other pitchers from other teams and maybe stack other teams um, as well as like I did, for, I, like I have Chase Anderson and Trent Thornton on the Jays. Just the more players you have on more on the same team is going to have more reliability of that mid range of having those um, two start pitchers um, in that one week. And if you have, and, and by me grabbing, three good ones on the Reds, Castillo, Bauer, Gray, there's going to be a higher chance that there's going to be, I'm going to have those two star pitchers. And then I'm going to supplement that with all my other sort of crappier pitchers I took in later, later on that might have two starts um, as well. So it's a, it's, it's a, vo- it's a volume based approach. Interesting. Yeah. There's only a few teams you could probably, I'm looking at the board here where you could actually pull off um, a stable of, you know, really good pitchers and just where they're going in drafts. Right. You know, it's, it's probably you know easier said than done to even try that. I guess I guess my only thought on that is this year just the weird uncertainty. Is it going to be seven games a week, no off days, eight games, doubleheaders? You know, are guys going to be able to throw you know throw twice? Right. So you know, in, in a normal season, you're probably you know baking in more of those two star weeks. It's just such an up in the air um, thought now on how they're going to uh, how they're going to run this. I mean, those three guys you got are guys who at least go deep in the games. You know, they're not going to. Um, you know, they're not going to mess with those guys as far as their start. So I'm sure they'll start on regular rest as much as they possibly can. So, you know, you'll, you'll at least get the volume out of those guys for, for sure, as opposed to some other pitchers that um, are going to be, you know, more at risk for not getting their full starts or uh, the, the, the full complement of innings that you, know, you would think they would get. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, what you, what you said definitely makes sense in terms of it not being as valuable this year, but I, I do. I I do have to concede that that like a, a full season would make that strategy a lot more viable. Which I was tr- I, I've attempted it with the Padres, and we were talking in another podcast. You could, you could definitely do it to the Pirates, um, and um, and you could it you could grab a, basically all of the Orioles if you want. Like like you can basically take a take your normal pitching strategy and then just stack the whole Orioles rotation later in the draft. And then you can have um, some two star pitchers, but I don't know if you even want them. <laughs> don't even know if you want them. Um, the one thing I would say though, Zach, about the Reds, which I do like is, you know, this proposed uh, unbalanced schedule. Uh, if they are in that division 
that is against you know, the AL, ALNL Central kind of combination. Uh, they have a bunch of terrible teams uh, that they'll be facing a lot. Detroit, Kansas City, Pittsburgh. So, you know, it's a it's a good it's good odds that you're going to get a bunch of starts against those three uh, you know poor hitting teams. And you know, even if you have the you know the the, the negative effect of of playing in Cincinnati as opposed to the, to the neutral ballparks, at least they have some much better matchups this year uh, and and more of them. So I think I think you could expect you know. And I'll be so I'm so curious to wait to see the new set of projections coming out from ATC and the Bat and Steamer and uh, and Masters Ball. I can't wait to see all these new projections on how they are factoring all this in. I think it could be really interesting. There might be some much more variability than you typically see in the projection set. So I'm really curious uh, and kind of can't wait to to dive back in. I'm looking at these projections from early March. It's just like unbelievably ridiculous. Uh, to even be just even having this file still exist. I can't wait to see uh, some of the new projections and, and hopefully have a, just have, have a fresh take on the whole season and, and, and draft a few more teams. Just um, a counterpoint to the, um, the Reds being able to face like the Royals and the, the Tigers and such. And, and I, don't, I don't know the answer to this yet. Um, but what is the schedule going to look like? What I'm assuming is going to happen is the central – like the Indians and the White Sox are going to play each other. Um, I'd say out of the 82 games, I'd say like 60 of those games are going to be interdivision, and then 20 of the games are going to be against the other division and then in the National League. I don't know what your thoughts are. I don't know what's been said about that um, yet. But what, the, and I, what I was looking at is like the West, and like who's going to have at-bats in Colorado? And like is Trout going to be playing a lot in Colorado? I'm like, you know what? They're probably going to be playing – one away series against the other league's park. So Trout gets basically one series in Colorado, if that's if this theory that I just said holds true. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's right. From, from how I'm seeing it, four series each against their divisional teams and then two series each against their kind of uh, AL counterpart. So um, that's right. They probably have a home-and-home. So the Reds would have four series versus the Cubs, Brewers, Cardinals. That's not easy, but four no. against the Pirates. And then they'd have two against Minnesota. That's not good. But two against the Royals, two against the Tigers, two Indians, two White Sox. So, you know, there's, there's, I think there's worse setups than they have. I think they have, you know, decent. Uh, a, a decent setup. You know, those – you're talking with that uh, six – that's – 20 games against Detroit, Kansas City, and Pittsburgh. No, sorry, sorry, that's more than that. That's um, that's there. That's what four. That's eight. That's 30. No, like like 25 games against those three teams. That's but you know that's a third of the season, right? So a third of their season is against those three teams. So that's not bad. That's not bad at all. So I think I think Cincinnati is 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 a team to kind of look at there a little differently. Of course, we haven't made the the you know the, the, the hot topic on Twitter, of course, which I'm sure we won't talk about today because everyone's potting about it, but uh, it's uh, just the whole adjustment with the uh, universal DH and how that affects all the NL pitchers. That's the other real interesting Yeah, that's a, that's a whole can of worms. But um, like I know Giolito pitched 20% of his innings last year, over 20% of his innings versus the Royals last year. So that was a huge pickup for him, and he really took advantage of that. I think the biggest winners – 
stay winners are the, are the Indians and, and White Sox pitchers that get to face uh, the, the Tigers and the Royals even more because those are really, really bad divisions. Um, I think that um, in terms of hitters, um, this, this is a hot, this is this, we could talk about this uh, for a, a while is we're, where is the best pitching concentrated? And I did, and I looked at that as well. This is sort of, this is this is our tangent that we're going off on right now because I know we still want to look at some of your your picks. But uh, I was looking at the pitchers um, and the East uh, divisions have the high, have have the best like top end pitchers in them. You have your um, Coles, you got your Degrom, the Cole Degrom um, uh, Washington Nationals divisions is is a killer. But then I think the – and I went all the way to probably like around Matt Boyd area. The, the Central is the weakest pitching too um, and the weakest hitting. Um, but uh, I think the West has the deepest pitching. you got a lot of guys like your Robbie Rays, your Lamettes, and um, all the Oakland A's guys. Uh, I, think, I, think you got, I think you got the most upside in the West in terms of uh, for, for hitter-wise. For hitter, hitter um, but I think um, overall um, – uh, hitting hitting hitters might get the biggest boost in the central, and then maybe like the Rays and the Yankees hitters really get a nice boost because they're facing like the Orioles, the Jays, and the Red Sox suck too. So like I think that like they, like if anyone if you want to dig deep, I think the Rays and the Yankees hitters really get a big big uptick in with this division. I think you're absolutely right on all on all of that. Yep, they get the they get to pound on the Orioles, man. Like a like double the amount they did last year. Like maybe Glaber Torres is a first round pick. <laughs> um, That's maybe he definitely maybe gets Austin a boost. Meadows is where he should be going. Well, he could, might be anyways. Like there's a lot of like uh, there's a lot of players like that. Maybe I don't know. They can many scenarios you can talk about. What's so. That? so so Zach, you know, looking at your team, I think it's a really, um, you know, I, I kind of, before the show, I just using my kind of projections. That, that, again, these are the old ones, so this is this is this will completely change. But just kind of plug it into kind of, uh, you know, kind of plug your team in, and it looks like you're getting there. You know, in all the hitting categories, average was uh, a little under. Um, you know, you're definitely there in 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 strikeouts. Your ERA is 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 close. It was, the one thing I wanted to ask you about just on stats was whip and just kind of your, your, your kind of approach on that. But the other thing with your team is you have a lot of, you know, there's, and I don't know if this is, it sounds like you like, you like to do this and just kind of be a little more of an in-season manager, just kind of with, um, you know, maneuvering. Uh, you have, you have a lot of different pieces here that I think if you, if you play them right, it could be a really, really strong team. You have a lot of just, you know, interesting guys, like the Sam Hilliards, you know, uh, um, McCutcheon, you know, uh, Francie Cordero, interesting, you know, it's Kevin Cron. Um, so is that, so just two, so two questions for you. One is, do you like that kind of in-season management of kind of moving, uh, kind of moving, moving parts, both hitting and pitching? And obviously with NFBC, you get, get, to, you get to do the hitting twice a week. And then second question, just kind of your, kind of on, on whip. Is that, is that one of the pitching categories you, you typically focus more or less on? Well, I'll answer the second question first um, in terms of the whip. Um, I'm just trying to get the best pitchers I could uh, pit, like that are going to get me the best ratios. Um, it, 
in the projections, perhaps it doesn't show um, that I'm going to be the best whip pitcher, but um, I, I think going along with your first question, I am going to do a lot of in-season managing. So like you got guys on my team that are probably not projected for the greatest whip. Like you got like uh, um, Freddie Peralta and you have um, other guys that are like maybe slaughtered in as starters. Like I got, a, I got like, like I stacked the, the Jays, Thornton, Matt Shoemaker and uh, Chase Anderson. Um, I did the Cincinnati stack. Um, maybe I don't have that elite closer that would, that would help me with res- like in respect to other, other teams as I compare, but no, I didn't really notice that. I just tried to get, I tried to get the best pitching staff that I could. Um, I think a lot of these guys have upside and um, uh, like I said, the stacks are going to allow me to play the volume. Hopefully. Um, I know it's minimal. It's a minimal advantage in terms of that stack. I know I'm making, I'm not trying to make it the be all end all, but um, I think um I, uh, the guys that I took later on, I'm hoping uh, are going to be able to outperform their projections. Like your, like I have Mackenzie Gore, Freddie Peralta, Alex Reyes is somebody I love. Um, and uh, um, Michael Fulmer, I'm thinking is going to come back sooner than later. Um, and just guys like that, that I think are going to have, um, have some upside that are going to outperform the projections. Um with respect to uh, the first question, which was the in-season management. Yeah. Like a lot of, like I did, I did back to what I said before, take a little bit more risk on in, in those earlier rounds, taking guys like your Mackenzie Gore, Sam Hillier, but then I did back everyone up. Um, well, not everyone, but I, I did, I do like to hedge my bets. Um, like you saw that I have McCutcheon and I have had him, Adam Housley on the, on the Phillies. I got all the J starting pitchers yeah. I, I took um, Nate Lowe and um, uh, did, I, did I grab the other? Um, maybe I saw him. Maybe, maybe I was looking somewhere else. I thought I took the Tetsugo. Um, yes, you have him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Way, way higher. I took him in the 22nd round, but I took Nate Lowe and Tetsugo. Um, uh, what else can I say here? Um, like the closures I spoke about already. Um, I took I took um, Barreto and I took Mateo. I handcuffed um, um, Correa with Abraham Toro in round 39. I think Toro is a must-have if you have Correa because of the Correa's back concerns. I think what happens is I think really what happens there. I know you have Miles Straw there, which I like a lot too. But I think what happens if Correa gets injured, I think Bregman moves over to shortstop and Abraham Toro takes over at third base. Um, and then again, um, I love I can say it at this point. Kevin Crone, I've been on him all since the beginning, and I'm so happy about the NLDH because I think I think he's he's my guy that could be your Pete Alonso this year, um, mm. if if any. Um, I I just love his profile. I I don't think he's as much as much of a swing and miss as people are saying he is. And then I did back him up with Seth Beer because I was on when uh, Justin Mason had his um, Halapalooza or whatever you want to call it. I was talking to him and he said bring two sleepers, and my two sleepers was Alex Reyes and um, Kevin Crone. Um, and then he's like, I don't know about Kevin Crone. I, I think, uh, Seth Beer is going to play. So I, I took, I, I took, I noted that and, you know, I took and then I took Seth Beer and I backed up Crone. I took Seth Beer in round 43. No, you know, it's it just, you know, listen, we could talk all day. I think the quarantine's actually over at, at the end of this podcast. We <laughs> for so long. So, Hey everybody go out and uh, no, don't do that. Um, but yeah, 
What I love talking about fantasy baseball, and I love hearing different people's processes and just the thinking behind it, and how you have you have a approach, a strategy, and and you execute that. I think that's that's the beauty of this game is there are a thousand different strategies and approaches, if not a million. And you know, bottom line is you know you 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 kind of go with the way you view the the hobby and how you view you know each year's different circumstances and just you know keep learning and getting better that's what the whole thing's about that's what i really enjoyed from um you know from playing all these years is just hearing from other people watching and and um listening and it just makes you a better player it just makes it more fun and you know there's not many hobbies that you get this ability to kind of get this kind of uh, feedback from your own performance but also from you know other people who, who share it so that's that's kind of what i love about this and um you know this. You know this. This. This draft was a lot of fun, and, and obviously this pod was was great. Really enjoyed talking to you. Oh yeah, I, I enjoyed having you on. I know we've um, gone over two hours now, but um, uh, one last thing I want to ask you about your team. Um, how how, sure. how are you? How are you? Like, what, actually, two questions. How are you projected to finish? Um, I know you just. I know you plugged everything in. You talked about my team, uh, and then I like. I want to ask you about your Eduardo Escobar and Jorge Polanco picks back to back in the ninth and tenth round because those guys have similar pro, uh, pro- profiles, and I would call them unheralded guys that are that are just don't have the the flash appeal. But um, how how do you how do you how do you feel those guys are going to help your team? Um, and um, yeah, and how how are you projected? Yeah, I'll ask the second question first about Escobar Polanco. Yeah, you know, that's um, – they – yeah, not flashy, not exciting. I mean, look at all the other great names at second base and shortstop. These two guys are kind of, you know, a little bit off the radar. Um, they just, you know, seem to have uh, – you know, Escobar had a really big year last year. He's one of those guys that I think most people are – saying the R word about regression and not expecting it when you can get him. He could play as your second, play as your third is interesting. You know, Polanco had that suspension, and I think that kind of took a little shine off him. Uh, Doesn't do anything great. Uh, Not a ton of power, not a ton of speed, but, you know, good average and just kind of solid numbers in a great lineup. So, you know, those are two guys that I've been kind of landing on kind of at that point in the draft, just depending on how the rest of my team looks. Just kind of again, unheralded, interesting. Not saying they're undervalued; they're probably they're, pro- they're probably properly valued, but they don't have that kind of um, shine that a lot of other players have. So they seem like they're just kind of there for the picking in a lot of drafts. Uh, you know, as far as where I'm projected, so this is kind of a good way to end because I, I, I was wondering if you'd ask about this. So you know, I I keep track during the draft just on my own team's projections and I'm looking at benchmarks. So uh, I, I do look at benchmarks when I'm drafting and I'm, but I'm really looking more at category balance. That's why I am kind of plugging in my guys. It's obviously a lot easier during a slow draft than kind of a main event when, you know, all the pressure's on and you don't have as much time to do it. I'm just looking at category balance. I'm really trying to have a solid team across all the categories, uh, you know, unless I have a different strategy going on. Uh, so I'm kind of using it for that. Uh, I don't use any kind of software program or anything like that, so I have no idea kind of how that looks in real time compared to other teams. I will say, and this is probably uh, this is maybe my hottest take of the whole show. Uh, you got to have one, I guess. But I do look at 
at the end of the drafts, the fantasy pro analysis that they have had in the last couple of years. Now, I know people completely deride that. They don't pay it any mind. They think it's ridiculous, and that's cool. Um, I look at it for a few reasons. One, it's something to look at, you know, because we're not going to have, a, you know, uh, uh, an actual result for six months, and I just kind of want to see what uh, a different projection system that I'm using. So I don't, I don't use any fantasy pros information at all in any of my preparation or in any of my you know so, uh, my personal rankings or anything like that it's, it's a completely separate system i'm sure it's correlated with some of the some of the systems i am looking at so i'm not saying that i just kind of want to know where i'm at am i competitive listen i'd rather it show me near the top than near the bottom i'm just going to say that you for sure can use your in-season management and fab to get from a team that's not viewed to be as competitive uh, after the draft and get there. The draft also doesn't look at all the different factors. It could be wildly wrong. Last year, we had a lot of teams that came out and looked like they were, you know, got the first place projection, AA+. And we had a really great year. Had a great year. And a lot of those teams that were predicted to, to do well did do well. We had s certain teams that were shown to have an A after the draft came in last. So, it's absolutely all over the map. In this particular draft, I, you know, it, it's, it has me as uh, projected for first place based on what they had. I like to see that. Obviously, it doesn't really, truly mean anything. I'll say two more things and I'm done. Funniest thing is my wife, I'll say, hey, I got an A. She's like, so what does that pay? I was like, yeah, it pays nothing. So she, she gives me a ton of grief on that, which is definitely warranted and very funny. Last thing I'll say is, the funniest thing was on this one is when you went Joey Gerber uh, with that last pick, it doesn't generate the um, projected standings until the uh, placeholder is in. So I'm like, oh, man, Zach. So it took me an extra like two days to actually see the projections because uh, uh, by the time Derek tracked down the IT team to get Joey Gerber in there, it, it won't do any of the uh, anal uh, analysis until e every player is in there. So that was and how does that work though? Like, um, first of all, that's hilarious about your wife because she, um, that show that that shows that she actually gets it. Um, <laughs> but secondly, are you factoring in like the projections from all these round 45, 46 players into like, because shouldn't like, I've, I've done it before where I've, done projections and i heard from somebody in this draft that they projected me for last place in this draft which whatever uh, i don't think um i think last place teams have come into come in place first a lot of times last project last last place teams projected uh to finish last of, of coming first but i guess it's harder with uh, no waivers of course but um I, I would just I would just plug in the, the 23 starters i wouldn't make it so complicated but how does that how, how do you know who Who's going to start? And, you know what I'm That's saying? Absolutely. How do, you, how, do you, how do you factor in all 50 players' projections to get a, uh, an end result at the end of the season? So that's a great question. Honestly, I don't know the algorithm that Fantasy Pros uses. I, I have no idea how they use it. And obviously, any drafts happening now, I don't. I doubt they've upgraded. You know, updated their projections. So anything that's happened in the last two months is is useless in regards to what Fantasy Pros is telling you, that I would fully agree with. Um, again, I'm looking more at cat kind of category balance. Do I have strengths or at least not weaknesses across a range of categories? And that, you know, it kind of, that relative analysis still might stand here, but, you know, obviously we're using very old projections now, so this has no value. 
for the way I do it, just for my team, what I do is I, I'll plug in the first, you know, 23, but let's say I have certain guys that are projected for less at-bats or less innings. I will do some backfilling because you will have that chance during the season to plug in other guys. If guys are not getting the full complement of innings or uh, at-bats, you will plug other guys in, and those stats will count towards your final tally. So even though I didn't draft them, quote-unquote, in my first 23 rounds, they still count. You know, you can't add 50 guys in there, obviously, and there's kind of, I, you know, I, I have like an at-bat, you know, like 550 at-bats kind of per slot, obviously not catchers, you know, that you can't really, you know, you know, fudge on. But, and, you know, I'll kind of just plug it in, and, you know, maybe that's just kind of a little bit of padding, and that makes me feel a little better. But, you know, generally, you know, you can get, you know, that many at-bats out of, out of a lot of positions. Some guys will give you more, so you can kind of get a little edge there. Uh, so that, that's kind of how I do it. You know, I just make sure I have what would be considered a full complement of at-bats or innings uh, and just try to be realistic and not, you know, un, you know, not overdo it where I'm really giving myself just a pat on the back when, when, it's, when a kick in the ass is more, is more warranted. Season's not a sprint. It's a, it's a marathon like this Except podcast. this year. <laughs> this, year it's a, this year it's a half marathon, we yeah. can call it. Yeah, this podcast is now officially long. <laughs> it is the longest pod ever. Well... I've enjoyed right, well, it. Thanks, I Mark. I'll let yeah, you go. Exactly. I appreciate I'll it. I'll so finally much. let you go and get back <laughs> to your normal life and family uh, for this evening. But I would, I do appreciate uh, you coming on, and this pod was excellent. Um, you can follow Mark uh, on Twitter at uh, m a r c underscore w i n o k u r. That's correct. Okay, because I'm not, I'm just going off the top of my head here. I don't you have, nailed it. I have your oh, profile pulled up right now. But, yeah, you can follow him on Twitter, and then uh, we'll catch you next time on uh, Draft Champions Podcast. So, peace out, boys. Thanks, sir. I kind of like it when